welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who is reunited with me. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, I am. Have you always been that loud in the introduction? Yes. Have I just been away? It's been too long. Island Taylor, Island Taylor lives a softer, gentler life. I'm not ready for the screaming of the urban urban lifestyle, Daryl. You like just the lapping of the waves gently against yeah. the beach. Yeah. That's it's not really what pleasant. you get. It's not what you get yeah, here in you, the office I get you me. screaming at me. Hello and welcome. <laughs> well, today's show, uh, for our listeners, is going to be Premier League focused, but it's mm-hmm. listener questions all about the Premier League. Right. And here's the way we conceptualize this it's a good word to use right I suppose um, is you and Ryan did a, like, a big overview mm-hmm. of the weekend action we're going to drill down into some very specific things and the best way to know what people want to know about is to take listener questions I suppose that's yeah. true so we have lots of questions about the opening weekend of the Premier League to get into today I actually think we haven't talked about this but like the way you explain that you've explained this to me before but for the second time uh, hearing it again I actually really like this idea as a like secondary weekend review almost yeah, because yeah. I think we do like like the Ryan the show I just did with Ryan. It's a lot of the big clubs is who we talk about because yeah. those that's kind of where the big results were, mm-hmm. and that tends to be the teams that people want to hear about. Well, but obviously you see the are, questions. There's a lot of questions saying, about big clubs, but I think that's the way to do it. Is I would rather sort of have people because a view behind the curtain is that like if Bournemouth beat Burnley two nil. Like, we don't want to just generically be like, hey, Bournemouth, got those two goals. Good for them. Yeah. But we also don't want to, re- like, regurgitate what other people have said, which then requires us to watch every single Premier League game, which we're just not going to be able to yeah. do. We are but two men. No, and so it ends up being like, I don't really want to have, like, a lukewarm, like, oh, yeah, Bournemouth, two goals, like, looking really just good. mention them just to mention them. Exactly. Yeah. And what so I if you re- want to hear about Bournemouth, ask us a specific question. That's it. I'd like yeah. to do almost, like, a, like, midweek, not, like, saying necessarily I want to set this in stone, but, like, a midweek, like, listener questions about whichever team or whatever you want to hear about and sort of approach it from that okay. perspective so it's yeah. like hey so setting precedent today. why didn't Eddie Howe do this we could probably spend a little bit of time researching that and figure it out and then yeah. we have an actual thing to say about Bournemouth versus like yep they won pretty good game <laughs> moving on I mean there are lots of other podcasts who do that that there you are. can listen to yes exactly a <laughs> um, couple of the quick updates one we of them are- is weekly we are reunited. And it's about football. Don't you, don't you dare. <laughs> we are reunited in yeah. the studio today, but I am off again tomorrow. Yep. We're going to be, we're going to be split apart again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Boston for three days. It's partly a little vacation, but it's more importantly, I'm going for a, uh, possible clinical trial, mm-hmm. which is targeted at a very specific genetic mutation associated with my cancer. So this is, uh, An Englishness. Englishness. Englishness, yeah, it's the yeah. Englishness mutation. Yeah. I, I only ask because Boston Tea Party, I don't know, is it going to be revenge? You like your tea? It could be a whole thing. <laughs> you think you'll be out to get me? I mean, I think the other way around, I think you're out to I get them. Oh, yeah. I think this is all a covert way of you going back to take the tea out of the harbor, <laughs> I guess. I wish it were that. <laughs> I wish it were that romantic. Um, but yeah, so I'll be there uh, just getting the mm. initial consult uh, next Wednesday. I'd like to give listeners an update on, you know, what, yeah. what's going on. I think they very much appreciate that, what's as do I. On. All right, yeah. Well, I told you before we recorded. You did, but I'm saying I enjoy... Imagine if you just found out now. What's this now? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I enjoy getting the updates, so I'm assuming that listeners would also like to know what's going on as well. There we go. Mm-hmm. And you can hear my voice. I'm still, you know, still lively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a robot or anything. It's definitely <laughs> no. not a robot that we've programmed to sound like Joe. That's definitely not happening. <laughs> Could you do that? Yes, Joe. We should invest in that. We should invest in <laughs> that. I'm not working on that at all in my spare time. <laughs> before we talk Premier League questions... We have U.S. news, U.S. Mm-hmm. soccer news. Ernie Stewart got a promotion. Yeah. He's no longer men's national team general manager. He is now, looks at email. <laughs> that is some tiny font you've got on that email. Sporting director uh-huh. of U.S. soccer in charge of both men's and women's national teams. Well, thank goodness, because for the longest time I've been thinking, what good is a GM without a sporting director? Because these <laughs> terms aren't meaningless at all. I will say the new structure mm-hmm. – um, 
makes more sense. We're going to have Ernie Stewart, a sporting director, yeah. overseeing everything. Underneath him, there's going to be a new men's national team general manager yeah. to replace Ernie Stewart and a women's national team general manager who was also named Kate Margraff. Yep. I'm really happy about this. I'm keeping my uh, journalistic integrity and remaining neutral. I don't. No, I'm kidding. I'm really excited about this. I really like <laughs> Kate Margraff. Yes. Uh, we've had com- some correspondence with her. We've. I don't think we've yet had her on the show, which no. is something we would like to remedy in the near future. But we have big respect for her analysis and opinions. When you hear her on ESPN or with uh, with uh, Salazar, Sebi Salazar, yeah. or when you just read her tweets during the Women's World Cup, she mm-hmm. was the one source for me that was like, I want a tactical insight into this game that either confirms something I've been looking yep. at or just gives me a window into something I haven't noticed. And Kate Margraff's Twitter feed was like absolute yeah. gold mine. So she's a soccer mind. That's why I'm excited. She's a soccer mind who's been there, who's experienced it at like the like the she highest, won the World Cup. exactly the yeah. highest years of competition. But it's her approach to analysis, as you said, that I think makes me the most optimistic about this appointment because it seems like she kind of ticks all the boxes of what you want from an executive coming in. That they have the experience, they have the background, they have the respect of their of their peers and yeah. a little bit of the reputation, but also she's the in know-how. that 99 WhatsApp group that yeah. we know exists. Yeah, right. exactly. But like. I, <laughs> Even that the podcast you mentioned, like her work with Sebi Salazar, like I, I almost found myself listening to that, being like, I hope other people don't find out about this because it's very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> like it's that sort of approach. So the idea of having somebody well, they were nice enough to plug TSS on there, they were, so, yeah, they were, yeah. yes. Maybe people um, just listen to that episode. That'd be, that'd be fine. That'd be fine. That's <laughs> the only one you need. But like, I, I guess I just feel like all of those sort of components being combined combined in one person, yeah. who is going to be in a position of authority, makes me very optimistic. It is not a like. I mean this genuinely. Like I'm really excited about this. It is not a like, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a good appointment and we'll see what happens. And I'm I'm optimistic. I'm genuinely excited yeah. to see so uh, what Kate Margraff brings to the table. We're pro-Margraff. We definitely um, are. But also I'm pro the new structure, I think. we'll get mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get into more detail on this. There's a press conference happening, a teleconference happening right now that we can't get on because we had to record this mm-hmm. show. So more details might come out when you know Grant Wall and co. ask questions yep. um, about this. But what I read is that Kate might Margraff's... being the operative word there. <laughs> Kate Margraff's role as Women's National Team General Manager... Um, means that she oversees the youth national yep. teams and the hiring and firing of the coaches of not just the senior team, but all the youth women's national teams as well. And we assume the new men's national team GM will have a similar role. So at least for me, the structure makes more sense now, right? I suppose. before there was a weird confusion of like Ernie Stewart was the GM, but Tab Ramos was the youth technical director mm-hmm. and Greg Berhalter is the head coach of the men's team. I, f- I feel like there's a more sensible hierarchical structure that maybe they were edging towards all along. That is a one way to take it. Certainly, a more cynical slash me would say uh, that it, it it's. I wish that that had been like clarified up front, mm-hmm. and that it had been like, well, Ernie's taking this position now. We aim to have a person who like who these two GMs will report to. We're going to slide Ernie into that position, but we wanted to get him familiar. Like, I I guess I just always want there to be a little bit more transparency as opposed yeah. to after the fact telling me it was the plan all along. Is it because you can't know for sure that this was a plan all along? And if it was a plan all along, it gives you more confidence in I guess I feel the way you were saying that, that it probably wasn't the plan all along. Because it would have been announced if it were. Yeah. Kind but we're not of, confident in the transparency either, right? So we can't be no, confident. And I'm also not confident in U.S. soccer's ability to plan long term like uh, th- yeah. that's the other element of this is that similar to their whole like oh yeah it took us a year to figure out who we wanted to be the men's national team coach because of all these all of these other things well now you're telling me one of the components in there was only a temporary hire until another position was available like it yeah. just it all feels very sort of yeah that's definitely what we always intended all along and there's no reason to look uh, any deeper than that here's what we do know mm-hmm. kate margraff as the u.s women's national team gm mm-hmm will be leading the search yep. for the new U.S. Women's National Team head coach, who, of course, take the team to the Olympics. The other thing we know is they're going to be looking for a new GM on the men's side. And I think Tab Ramos is the guy. 
Uh, yeah, I would be okay with that. I mean, I... Because you're already overseeing youth yeah. technical director mm-hmm. stuff, so that's kind of like an evolution of his role, the same way that Ernie Stewart's role has evolved upwards. Here's the thing that you don't know, is I reached out to a friend of ours who shall remain nameless, who has some information when it comes to these types of things. I asked if maybe there was a chance that Tab Ramos would take over. The response, simply doubtful. So... Interesting. We'll see what happens there. Here's okay. my counter-argument, Daryl. So the women's national team... How did Jason Davis know these things? <laughs> Not Jason Davis, although I'm sure he has thoughts. Uh, women's national team needs a, a head coach, as you've mentioned. Yeah. Men's side of the game needs a GM. Yeah. Daryl and I are over here being two people, and I'm saying that seems like two roles to me. And like uh, best friend Kate, you know, we're around if you you know if oh, you yeah. need someone to interview. We'll move to Chicago. Yeah, it's lovely there. Do we have to work in the tiny little office? Can I live in Pilsen? Oh, in that case, yes. I yeah, mean. right. We're all in. I will happily live in Pilsen. Yes. <laughs> all right. So maybe we'll um, we'll get more into this later I in feel the like week. You've brushed over my uh, appeal to be either the GM or the head coach of the women's national team, and I, I feel mean, like that's something we should really embrace. They're both good jobs, right? They would. I would be terrible at both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so bad. At, at both of those jobs. Can we be chief podcasters? Sure. Yes. Let's see if that can be a role. <laughs> yeah. I want that to be a role, 100%. Although I could be the transitional person for the women's national team who's terrible and immediately gets fired so they can hire somebody who, just by seeming remotely competent, is better in the long run. <laughs> I'm willing to fulfill that role, too. You'd be very good at it. We'll call that person Steve Sampson. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> it is. That's harsh. 98 I, really I good you're going to go Tom Samani. Um, all right, so... <laughs> Let's talk Premier yep. League. Mm-hmm. We have uh, lots of questions from mm-hmm. listeners to answer about the Premier League. Unless you have anything else you want to... We'll call that person David Moyes. Any other jabs Moise. you want to take at US soccer, Taylor? We'll call that person David Moyes. Okay. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Good transition. No, no other jabs. No other jabs. Other okay. than, I'm, again, congratulations to Kate Margraff. Yes. Uh, we're very excited for her in the new position. First question yeah. in our Premier League question special... What you got? ...comes from Eric Bergasa. Eric Bergasa asks, How big of a role did Christian Eriksen play in turning things around for Spurs. Mm-hmm. So, for those who don't know, Spurs went 1-0 down to Aston Villa at you know the new uh, Tottenham Stadium, um, eventually came back and won 3-1, but only after Christian Eriksen mm-hmm. came off the bench midway through the second half. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to jump in here to answer this question very quickly before Daryl can uh, gush about Christian Eriksen, because I'm going to say he certainly played a role because he's very, very good. He's an attacking player. He helps set up opportunities. But um, uh, I will give credit where credit is due. Match of the day did a very good analysis of what Tottenham's problems were in the first half versus the second. Can I guess? Was it a lack of width caused by the midfield diamond? 100%. Because when Ericsson came on, it's not just that Ericsson came on, it's that they went, they put Lamella to the left and Mora to the right and they actually had wingers instead of a diamond. See, I'm as smart as Alan Shearer. Exactly. They were very bunched up so there was no way to link up and there was no way to spread the field so that the defense could So I watched this game. Carl Walker-Peters and Danny Rose were the only width that they had Mm -hmm. um, and you had too many players bunched in the middle. Uh, Yeah, and as soon as Ericsson came on, they shifted the formation Mm -hmm. around. So it's it's half Ericsson being a great soccer player, but it's also half the classic Pochettino thing, right? We love Pochettino because he always sees a game, sees the problem, fixes the problem. He's the Bob Bradley um, of Argentina. Yeah, Ryan and I talked about Pochettino, not really in the context, I heard it, not really in the context of uh, this like type of question, but more so in how happy he was at Spurs. And like, was he sort of like, uh, sort of maybe like still lingering for a move and just wondering what was out there? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 I'm talking about Pochettino. Oh, but, sorry. But one of the things we, get, we got to in that conversation, Ryan and I, was about Pochettino's ability to change things up and adapt and improvise. And I think here you see another example of that, of he figures stuff out out of what's not working, he makes the adjustment, but then he brings in another player to sort of solidify that adjustment yeah. because that new player is coming in with 
operating instructions based on here's the change we're making, here's what I need you to do within that new system. So not only now is Villa trying to deal with that sort of adjustment of what they're doing in an attacking standpoint, Mm -hmm. but now they've got another player coming in with even further instructions that are even more dedicated to the change. And that's another thing they have to deal with. And in this case, deal with not very effectively. Uh huh. And to the point of Ericsson starting on the bench, I did some reading. Apparently, this is a quote mm. from Pochettino. It's not about the transfer speculation. It's about Christian Ericsson not being fully fit. He had yep. some minor surgery mm. in the off season. So I think a lot of people maybe saw Ericsson on the bench and thought, "Oh, he's like punishing him for that thing of like saying he maybe wanted a new challenge." But I don't think that's the way that you handle Christian Ericsson, right? No. Especially because he now cannot move. We'll talk about the transfer window later on. Yep. There's a question about that. He can't move to another Premier League team right now. Right. The window is closed. I don't I right. think that was necessarily the concern, but mm-hmm. yes, I take your point. Uh, I would also say that like a lot of the narrative about uh, Harry Maguire in this opening weekend has been that— he, How did you pivot this to Manchester United? I, well, I didn't want to say I'm a Man United because a fan because I always say that, but it's the quickest example that came to mind of a player who a lot of the narrative after his debut was when you have this player that you know you can trust and rely upon, you have more confidence doing what, you, what else you need to do if you're a central midfielder ahead of Harry Maguire and you know he's going to put out the— the fire, then you can sort of focus on other things. And I think Christian Eriksen does the same thing for Spurs, that he's a, a world-class he player. He gave the crowd a lift. Yeah. I mean, those people at to- uh, to- I don't know what it's called. Is it called just Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Uh, um, probably not, but sure. Um, <laughs> I'm, I know when Eriksen came in, everyone was like, yeah. well, but let's even, go. Even like the free kick he hits, that's saved, but it's sort yeah. of this like, oh, right, he's capable of these world-class moments, and it just kind of electrifies. It brings it up, and if you're a player around him, you're going to see that and be like, oh, I better raise my game. Oh, this guy's coming in, now i got to play a little bit better. i got to play yeah. a little bit sharper. And I think he just opens things up but also simultaneously gives his teammates more confidence to try things and do things and be a little bit more aggressive in their attacking because they've got another world-class attacker in there who can handle that responsibility ready for the next question yeah all right next question i guess the abbreviated answer is he sort of turned things around but other things were at play it was majorly pochettino's tactical shift exactly to get Mm -hmm. to get wingers instead of going with the diamond yeah um next question comes from nat manskopf nat manskopf asks is Lampard out? I mean, it's a tough question to answer because you never know if anyone is indoors or outdoors at any given moment. Uh, so he may well be outside. So I'm guessing this is a slightly tongue-in-cheek question of, you is Frank it's Lampard about... going to be fired after losing 4-0 in his first game as Chelsea I prefer manager. to think of it as like, is he, maybe they're asking, is he gay or not? That could also be one, Daryl. You that, don't know the context that of these questions. I'm, getting that, I'm guessing that is not what Nat is That is to. probably true. You're right. Uh, instead, I think it is probably a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And the answer... he's, he's married to uh, Christine Bleakley, former TV presenter. That's what you think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, current TV presenter. <laughs> um, I'm going to pivot away from this before I get sued by Frank Lampard. Yeah. But um, I will say this. I, I think that we talked about this a little bit, uh, Ryan and I did, that like Frank Lampard could lose – five games, I think, to start the season, Frank Lampard will not be out. This is, I think so, this is an yeah. appoint, appointment. Uh, Jose Mourinho talked about this, about how basically Frank Lampard buys Chelsea time because mm-hmm. he's not going to come in and demand things, and which he won't get because of the transfer embargo. But he's coming in, I think, it's almost like he's happy enough to have the job in whatever capacity. I think it's similar to, I keep making it about United, but Solskjaer taking over at Man United, or <laughs> I made Daryl close his eyes. Uh, but like it's that sort of persona coming into the team that I think sort of gives him standing within the club automatically, but is also he is going to want, want to work within the constraints of the club to stay there long term. I have a hot take. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I yeah. think Lampard gets more time than your average mm-hmm. Chelsea manager, and I think he's there almost as a weird sort of, uh, okay, we've got that weird transfer mm-hmm. ban thing and we lost Eden Hazard. It's going to be a bad season. It's almost a good PR move to have Frank Lampard be the face of the team. Right. I think there were lots of signs in this game 
that Lampard might be struggling in the Premier League. Okay. Yeah. Um, we saw the Mourinho, you seen the Mourinho clip where he's yeah. talking about Chelsea lacking compactness. Mm-hmm. I really thought that was a problem. I thought Man United absolutely stretched Chelsea out, and that's one of the reasons they managed to score. Uh, four goals. I think he made some very weird decisions. Uh, do you remember? I don't know if you heard the Chelsea preview. That can, I can I interject there to, yeah. to disagree with the first part of that a little bit? Or do you want me to wait? And then we well, can let, take let me just say this. Uh, cool. if, you, if you heard my uh, mm-hmm. season preview with Andres from mm-hmm. the Roman's Empire podcast, um, he said that Ross Barkley had been magnificent at the number 10 mm-hmm. for Chelsea all through preseason. And, then the, and Mason Mount was sometimes on the left. Christian Pulisic was sometimes on the left. Frank Lampard changed his mind to go up against Man United and put Ross Barkley on the left wing and Mason Mount, who I don't think has ever played in the Premier League before, but Lampard trusts him from the derby days in central attacking mid. And both of those guys were massively, massively ineffectual. I don't know Mm. why he made that weird switch. But I also, um, I read some stuff from Derby Can I just jump in to add, uh, David Greenberg asks, why didn't Christian Pulisic start week one for Chelsea? I feel like we should just get that question in there and fold them together because we're probably going to overlap. Pulisic's such a whole thing, we'll end up talking about him as part of this. But the other thing is, I'd heard last year Mm -hmm. at Derby that Derby fans were concerned that there's always a big stretch between Derby's defence, Derby's midfield, Derby's attack. And it may be that Lampard kind of got away with that in the championship. But that style of, you know, they pressed, right? Mm-hmm. But the back line didn't come all the way up with them. Um, I think that style in the, in the Premier League might get you in a lot of trouble. All right. Th- that's interesting. I hadn't heard the thing about Derby being too stretched, yeah. which maybe does change my perspective a little bit. But I think watching this game live and then watching a decent chunk of it on replay, I felt like Chelsea, and I said this on the show, could have gone up 3-0. Like, like, they really could have. If they took their chances, if Tammy Abraham turns, maybe takes another touch and gets a little bit closer, pulls De Gea out and finishes calmly, now it's 1-0. And I almost think that's one of those things of, like, Abraham's done it, now he's going to be the starter, and Chelsea have kind of found this form really quickly. Yeah, but that didn't happen, did it? It did not happen. But I, I guess I bring that up only to say that if he scores that goal, then suddenly United, even if they score, it's still 1-1. They still have to go out and play. Whereas as soon as United get up 1-0, they sit back, they have their low block, then they counterattack pretty effectively, and they get more goals. And I think that it was sort of Chelsea's wastefulness in the attacking third in the opening 15 or 20 minutes that really caused them problems. And I guess I feel like that's this thing that can be ironed out in the next couple of games. So here's my counterpoint is maybe the problem is that Lampard has trusted Tammy Abraham, mm-hmm. who was a really good championship striker last year. Mason Mount, who was a really good championship midfielder for Derby last year. Um, and that's like 50% of your attacking lineup are not proven Premier League quality players. And both young guys with still a lot to learn. And maybe that, that extra 10 20% that you need to actually succeed at the top end of the Premier League isn't quite there for those two guys yet. And I say this, I'm supportive of young English players, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I saw the stuff where, say, Harry Maguire just bodied Tammy Abraham, wouldn't let him turn, yeah. took the ball off him, Man United counter-attack, goal. You yeah, know but, I mean? it, but it's going to be, I think it will be Olivier Giroud. Like, I, I still think that you saw Mingolo Kante injured, coming back from injury, yeah. doesn't start this game. Like, Giroud injured? Uh, I, think, no, I, think, I think Abraham was just preferred, right? And I, I worry, that, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I worry about is Lampard thought this will be good enough against Man United, and it absolutely wasn't. I guess I feel like you're taking one game and extrapolating a well, lot that's of the data. Problem out of it. for the first week of the Premier League, yeah, right? Because because I, I'm arguing, I'm that, saying like, I saw worrying signs. See, but I, I think that if if you see them as worrying signs, then they're going to be worrying signs. But I think I saw some of those things you're talking about as like, yeah, it's a little bit of rust. You got to figure things out a little bit. Like, there's the one ball that comes across. I forget who played it in, but like Tammy Abraham isn't crashing. Ross Barkley isn't crashing at the back post. If they are, it's a tap in goal. And I think that's the stuff that, like, in my mind, once you solidify the starting eleven, maybe Mason Mount isn't good enough. But maybe he doesn't start there again. Like, maybe Frank Lampard just wanted to see it didn't work. He changes it, and then he brings in Willie, and he's got Christian Pulisic. He's got Ross Barkley. 
in the middle, and that's a stronger lineup, and then they are crashing, and then they do score. So for me, it's I think that there are things that can be adjusted, and then they can be a stronger team. But the other key thing here is that, like, yeah, maybe Mason Mount isn't good enough, and maybe Ross Barkley should start in the middle, but it's telling that that's what we're talking about. about like, Ross Barkley should obviously be the number 10, when in reality, in any other season, it's, well, Chelsea went out and signed another number 10 because they lost Aiden Hazard. Yeah. And I think it's still worth remembering, this is an embargo Chelsea team. They've kind of got to make with, like, do with what they can. Well, let's get to the Christian Pulisic point sure. then, because mm-hmm. Ross Barkley started on the left. Christian Pulisic did not start on the left. Mason right. Mount started in central attacking midfield. Mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic did not start. To David Greenberg's question, why didn't Christian Pulisic start week one for Chelsea? It's... We kind of already hit upon it, but like it's now troubling to me because Frank Lampard uh, came out and basically said that uh, Ross Barkley and Mason Mount were had a stronger preseason. They, he said they had a very strong preseason. I think the implication was maybe a stronger preseason than Christian Pulisic. Um, he also noted that he didn't want to throw Christian Pulisic into the fire too quickly, yep. uh, which I guess is kind of him. I think it's worth, again, remembering the situation, the embargo, but also I do think there's probably an element for Frank Lampard of like, well, Mason Mount did what I needed him to do last season. He knows my system, so I'm going to prefer him to start, and hopefully it will work. I think that's the answer. I think he knows Mason Mm -hmm. Mount better, trusts Mason Mount, spent a season coaching Mason Mount at Derby, and therefore Mason Mount was more trusted in what's a really tough game going up against Manchester United at Old Trafford Mm -hmm. in your first game. But if you step back and think about it logically... Christian Pulisic, an experienced Bundesliga player, mm-hmm. I would argue is more prepared to go to Old Trafford. I mean, he's already been to the Bernabeu, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He's more prepared to go to Old Trafford and compete than Mason Mount was. Yes. I mean, it, that is... And I, I call that a mistake from Frank Lampard. What, why? Why? Just because it is Because I think one player was obviously better prepared than the other. And I can say, I have no bias here. I'm as supportive as a, of a yeah. 20-year-old American attacker trying to make their way as I am of a 20-year-old English attacker trying to make their way. I don't necessarily have an issue with him saying, like, I want to work him in. I don't want to throw him in too quickly because we've seen that happen before where, like, if – let me rephrase. If this is Chelsea who don't have the transfer embargo and they've signed a couple other players and they're at full strength, I think Pulisic probably does start and maybe starts for a different manager, different conversation. But I think he does start because it's sort of a, a like, yeah, we've already got our full strength team and we're throwing in the new addition and we want to see if it works. But when there's so many other things that he's sort of having to figure out, I kind of understand the idea of, like, I don't want to put this kid in there, have all the expectation be on him. The narrative is already, like, is he the new Aiden Hazard? Or he's not the new Hazard, but he's something different. And if you put him in there and it doesn't work out, he does kind of get the blame. But I also take your point that to not play him by changing the formation around and then thus putting Ross Barkley in a position that he hasn't been thriving in in preseason, yeah. less excusable, in do my you, opinion. Do you think, and I think I'm betraying that I think this <laughs> The presence of Aaron Wambasaka had any role in Lampard's weird starting lineup uh, choices? Because I think maybe he would have started Barkley in the middle and Mason Mount on the left, mm-hmm. and he, maybe he thought Aaron Wambasaka will destroy Mason Mount. Because he's so hard to go past, and I wonder if it was like, too big of a challenge to ask Mason Mount to do. And maybe he thought it's a big challenge to ask Christian Pulisic to go up against Aaron Wambasaka. So we'll put the most experienced player, even though he's slightly out of position, in Ross Barkley and see if he can dribble past Aaron Wambasaka. The answer was no, he could not, but maybe no one could have. I mean, because he's Aaron Wambasaka. My answer to your question is maybe, but that's a problem. If, if yeah. you are on the opening day looking at a right back who has not played an official, like, competitive match for your opponent and thinking he might be too good for one of my my players that's a huge issue right there yeah. and that you're not then going to let the player 
test it and find out or kind of find their footing, but instead be like, eh, maybe I'll change it around a little bit. I, so I guess my answer this is, is one of my maybe, worrying but I'm hoping well. that wasn't the case. This is one of my worrying signs that I think Lampard kind of flinched and messed with what was working mm-hmm. for him, Barkley at the 10 and Pulisic or Mount on the left, yeah. thinking that he could reconfigure things slightly to be better suited to go up against Manchester United, mm-hmm. but not in a way that helped Chelsea at all, right? Yes, but I think to go back to the original question um, from Nat about is Lampard out? Yeah. Um, he may well be outdoors. Um, I, I think, but the reason why I say like no and he won't be is because no one is going to want to take over that job right now. And so I think he well, will I be... I could be persuaded. Maybe, maybe you do as good of a job. Depends what your soccer's <laughs> offer is like. I mean, the, you, we got to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're going to get that gig. A lot of offers will go away. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, like, no, I don't think many people are going to take that job. Certainly nobody of the, like, Carlo Ancelotti is not coming in and taking back over. He's like, hitting, fool me once, shame on me. Just hitting Mike. <laughs> and I think there are reasons why it would be an exciting time because it's basically you've got to kind of got to work with what you got. But I think with that in mind... Frank Lampard will have probably a bit more leeway to figure things out, more so than another Chelsea manager yeah. would, given the condition, given who he is. All right, before we move on to our first advertiser of the day, which I I'm excited. say situation, but yes, anyway. Before we move on to first mm-hmm. advertiser of the day, which yeah. I'm excited about, um, I do want to talk about Christian Pulisic's performance, because he got about half an hour or so. Mm-hmm. What did you make of Pulisic's performance? Unremarkable. Yeah, much. that's a good answer. And, yeah. and I think Lampard himself commented on that, that like if we were able to bring him on, I think they had initially planned to bring him on around the time when it was still 1-0, and it's like now we're bringing him on, he can kind of change the game, he can bring a new level of energy, we give him a little bit more freedom to attack, knowing what United are trying to do, plus they're already sitting off. But then he comes on, and within, what, like five or six minutes, they're 3-0 down? Yeah. I mean, not his fault, but it changes what's being asked of him, because now it's basically damage control. Maybe you make something happen in the best case, but also it's just sort of like, let's just not let them score anymore. So I think Chelsea are no longer focused on trying to play like attacking, interesting soccer. Did you see his one moment where he almost made something happen? Uh, uh, not that I remember now. Pogba put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this. As so, he will. Yes, yeah, so this is uh, Pulisic is up against Wambasaka, but in Chelsea's half. Because mm-hmm. yeah, Manuel did some pressing occasionally, right? That was actually quite effective. Pulisic did a really good job of accelerating around Wambasaka, got away from him, which not many people do, right? And he plays a 1-2 with, I think it's Kovacic. And Pulisic would have been away, but Pogba did the classic... Just professional foul, mm. step across, knock this guy over foul. Mm. And it really looked like a welcome to the Premier League, young man. Yeah. This is what happens when you try to counterattack. I mean, he did get that at the end of the game as well. He got the like yeah. the hug and conversation with Paul That seemed friendly, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I I don't worry about that moment, but I do think of it uh, as like that that definitely put a stop to what could have been Pulisic's shining moment and his introduction to the Premier League. And it's really credit to Paul Pogba that he is now that type of figure that recognises, oh, this kid looks dangerous. I'm going to do almost a Guardiola uh, Fernandinho thing mm-hmm. and just step across and cut this out right here, right now. It's a Rodri thing, it's but over. yeah. It's a Rodri thing now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I did see those clips of Rodri doing the Fernandinho role. For yeah. Yeah. yeah, he did. The, this ends here, is what, what I call that. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of conversation about that with Ryan <laughs> as well. Oh, is it? Yeah, but that's okay. We can repeat things. But we should also note, uh, when is the next time we can see Christian Pulisic? When will he have a chance to prove himself officially? Oh, so people should be hearing this on Tuesday, mm-hmm. right? There's the European Super Cup, which nobody ever cares about, nope. but is Chelsea versus Liverpool, Europa yep. League winners against Champions League winners. No one takes it very seriously, but it's still a full run out, mm-hmm. and it will be a chance to see Christian Pulisic, I assume, in action for Chelsea. If you don't count the if you don't count the Super Cup, mm-hmm. next weekend he will play 
or Chelsea will play <laughs> against Leicester. I feel like you might be falling prey to the Pulisic hype machine just slightly. Why is that? That you now build it as Pulisic versus whomever next well, week. Aren't we all excited to see Pulisic play for Chelsea? I, I mean, I am. Maybe you don't share the excitement, but I am interested in seeing how he performs in a Chelsea shirt. So I will watch a bit of the Super Cup just for that. To be honest, it's a little bit similar to Josh Sargent last season. That, like, I'm excited for him. I don't want to spend an enormous amount of time finding that one. Honestly, like, I'm okay that you did it this time. But, like, I don't want to spend the, the time being like, oh, but he had that one turn in a 4-0 loss. Or, like, yeah, he yeah. didn't do anything here. But, like, he did accelerate past this one guy. Like, I feel like when you're excited about young Americans, as we've been, you can get overly focused on them to the detriment uh-huh. of, like, looking at them from an objective lens. And I think there's also, yeah, there's a thing of maybe not getting too obsessed about how many minutes Pulisic mm-hmm. plays in these first few games of the season. Because, you know, there's, there's yeah. William to come back. There's Hudson Odoi apparently is back in training. There is competition for places. But we don't need to panic if he's not playing that much in the first five, six, seven games. No, right? There's an entire so. season to take a look at. So I think I'm going to take your advice and try and be take a bit of a long-term approach and be calmer about Pulisic's role at Chelsea okay. and kind of assume that it's all going to work out. All right. You answered yeah. my question, so we can we can move on then. All right. I was going to say, like, didn't you just begin this by saying you think there's going to be problems? But if you're going to No, for Lampard, approach. not necessarily for Pulisic. Gotcha. All, right. all right. Yeah. All right. I wasn't scared. I'm not worried about Pulisic's initial performance. No, right? Yeah. We'll see if that changes. Right. Uh, we will also see uh, some of the listener questions in a moment, but first we should talk about today's sponsor. Yes, I'm it's excited a, for this one. Not a new sponsor, but like a returning sponsor after yes. about a year-long absence, I well, would guess. It's a Richmond-based sponsor. So that for the first time also has, uh, we can let national people get in on the action. We should probably say who it is. It's Leadberry. Leadberry, co-owned by our friend Paul Watson, who volunteers on the street soccer team that we coach, Mm -hmm. uh, volunteers in lots of other capacities as well. Got a mean left foot. But also has a very nice uh, clothing and apparel company uh, here in Richmond. They are having their warehouse sale, which runs from August 21st until August 25th, Wednesday through Sunday. So yeah, that is at the the Leadberry flagship Mm -hmm. retail store here in Richmond um, on Broad Street. These shirts are high-end, right? Yes. There's a lot of people in Richmond are like, if you've got a nice shirt on, a lot of people in Richmond will be like, is that a Ledbury? Yeah, I mean, when the mayor, <laughs> when our new mayor was then the new mayor and was asked like about his wardrobe, he talked about Ledbury, but then I think added, uh, like, he wants to wear a Ledbury suit, but he can't quite afford it yet. <laughs> uh, but the thing about the warehouse sale is everything is on sale. So yes. you've got shirts starting at $29, pants starting at 59 sport coats from 200 other categories available at discounts of up to 75%. And if you're not in Richmond and you can't get to the, uh, to the, the flagship retail mm-hmm. store for the warehouse, sale they've given us a code that everybody can yep. use so if you go to ledbury.com l-e-d-b-u-r-y.com um, use the code tss2019 tss2019 you get 20 percent off your first purchase from now until the end of august that's right so it's a cool opportunity to like promote a local business that you yeah. can then like support a local business as well even if they're not local to you they are to us so <laughs> to support a small business i should say and you a can friend do of so ours. and a friend of ours and to get like high quality clothing genuinely very nice shirts very nice pants uh p- pocket squares i think they've got in there some nice ties mm. i wore a Ledbury tie at my wedding uh so, and again tss 2019 for 20 percent off uh online at their warehouse sale his, his their mom, digital warehouse sale the recommendation i can give is i have one Ledbury shirt and it's my best shirt that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to have more after visiting the warehouse sale. Do you hope to answer some more listener questions as well at, before the warehouse sale, I guess I should ask? Yes, please. All right. Uh, Sagar uh, Srimagiri asks a Man United question. Since I've already talked about them a couple times, I will let you answer it, Daryl. <laughs> Has Marcus Rashford improved significantly enough over the last 12 months to the point of being a proper main big four striker in the Premier League? 
it's interesting the idea of there being um, main big four strikers in the mm-hmm. Premier League, right? And I think of this more as he's not a main strikeout, but his new role for Man United makes him one of those like main wide attackers. Yes. How about that? Mm-hmm. I think of him as more like a Sadio Mane type figure. Because right. correct me if I'm wrong, in this game against Chelsea, he played on the left side of a kind of 4-2-3-1, mm-hmm. right? And Martial was central. And Rashford, I think, did a lot of good work interchanging with Martial, which I thought was really exciting. Um, and then really exploiting the space through the middle, coming in from the left, which, mm-hmm. again, is what a player like like Sergio Mane does. So I think my answer is yes, but from a wide attacker kind of role. Okay. Yeah. That's generous of you? Because my answer is no. Why, why not? Because I think he is... He is Good for Manchester United right now in terms of he's like a local lad who's come through the academy and is very good. Don't get me wrong. But I still think I don't trust him in big moments in some of his decision making. And I think for every moment when he scores a great goal this weekend, the ball over the top from Pogba that he brings down with a perfect touch and then finishes very smartly. It's great. And, And it's what I love seeing Marcus Rashford do. But I feel like he does that. Almost, like, this is overly simplistic, but, like, when things are going well, he can do that. It's the moments when United are chasing or need something to happen or maybe they're not playing very well. And I think he tries to do it single-handedly. And that's where you see him shoot from 30 yards out for no reason or hit a free kick from 40 yards out for no reason. Is there a chance that the new style of play under Solskjaer might suit him better? I remember me having a frustration with him where he would dribble into traffic too often and shoot from Mm -hmm. distance too often. And I wonder if that's because under Mourinho... Uh, Man United sort of started in a deeper block and so ended up going up against more numbers when they Mm -hmm. would go forward. Whereas against Chelsea, it seemed like there was a lot more wide open space that he was really able to exploit. Yeah, and I also think... That may be more of a Chelsea thing than a Man United thing. Yeah, I think it probably was. But no, I I think things can be two things. And I think here it was, that it was Chelsea being too open, but it's also... Like, you've got a, a very pacey, clever attacking group there with United now that maybe are less hung up on, like, say, Romelu Lukaku. There were the stories that, what, like, he'd been asked to get bigger by Jose Mourinho. Yeah. And I think that was always the thing that didn't make sense to me with Mourinho is, like, if you have Lukaku starting one game and then Rashford starting the next, like, those are two wholly different players yeah. that are going to be two very different things. And I think that certainly didn't help with the consistency of Rashford's development, yeah. which, again, is why I don't kind of put him in that top tier. I think that if he elevates his game a little bit and does become that person like yes he scores the penalty against PSG and that is a very clutch moment it's not about clutchness it's about that player who like makes the really smart decision when things are on the line I don't know if I back him there to do that right now here's my pro Rashford argument Mm -hmm. the first goal yeah um, scored against Chelsea he wins and scores the penalty and he wins the penalty with it's like isn't it like a weird deflection off Lingard and someone else and it pops forward he takes another perfect first touch that propels him forward and then with his second touch the outside of his right foot cuts back in a way that completely flummoxes Kurt Zuma mm-hmm. um, and then steps up and bashes that penalty top left corner yeah. those three things those three touches the first touch the cutback mm-hmm. and the penalty strike I, I would use the word clutch for, for that in the first game of a Premier League season yeah, my, we may point. be seeing a new more mature Rashford that's my point it's not about clutchness he is clutch I'm saying he scored that penalty against PSG when he had to score that penalty against PSG so it's, what's the concern it's more about like like rather than clutchness it's about the decision making in those final moments when the pressure is on when things aren't going your way yeah. I think that's when you see him get panicky and just start trying stuff okay. versus like 
now is not the time to try this shot. Even if there's only three minutes left, I need to hold up and wait for another teammate and try to find some combinations, try to make something happen that way, versus I think in the past he just sort of only has eyes for goal and is going to be the one to shoot and maybe score, but maybe hit it 10 yards wide, and now the game is killed off. Maybe if there's more mobility among the Man United forwards, I like so. Martial's a bit more mobile than Lukaku, and there's mm-hmm. a bit more interchange, maybe he'll have more options for like yep. quick one-twos, which again, it would be like a Sergio Mane thing, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just being like, well, nothing's on, I'm going to take a couple of touches and shoot from distance, right? Yes. I guess only time will tell, right? Evidence of the Chelsea game is good. Um, really, the 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 judgment of Rashford, similar to Pulisic, right, will be the whole season. Yes. Yeah? Forgive me, I should know this, but I've already forgotten. Who started for United on the right wing? Pereira? Was per- oh, I thought he was the number 10 in that game. No, Lingard was the central. Thank you, that was yeah. the one that was throwing me but off. Lingard kept- was moving everywhere. I think he was really yeah. mobile and interesting. It made that whole Man United front line really unpredictable and I think hard for Chelsea to track. That was bothering me for the last five minutes. So when I said like <laughs> their pacey attack, I was like, I know it was two other very fast young, well, not young, but... Lingard's sort of young, attackers, and I couldn't remember the order that they were in. So thank you for that. Do we have any more Man United questions? We don't, right? I just want to quickly mention Pogba again. You remember I talked about him Mm -hmm. putting a stop to that Pulisic thing, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really mature. So with that, Pogba has two assists in this Manchester United game Mm -hmm. from a deep-lying midfield position. And even though it was a weirdly quiet game in that he didn't dominate the game... I think this might be the type of thing we see from Pogba. It, I, it looks similar to 2018 World Cup to me where he's not all over it, but when you look back, you're like, oh, he did. He was very effective. Uh-huh. Were you about to say the same thing? I already did on the Ryan show. Oh, come on. <laughs> I literally said that exact thing, that it looks more like Pogba playing for France we, in the 2018 World we Cup. We should let listeners know we're recording this not long after you recorded the Ryan <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, Daryl hasn't heard it yet. I yeah. haven't had time to yeah. listen to I it. I mean, you, no, it wasn't even published until like 20 minutes before we yeah. started recording. So well, no, you wouldn't two have. British people say it, you know it's true. <laughs> but that's Wait, who's the other one? Ryan. No, I you said, said it. it. Get right. out of here. If two total Don't try to take that away from me. It? Yeah. Yeah, no, I talked about that, that he, he did that sort of deep lying, sitting off, not necessarily always being actively involved, but when he was, you knew it. So yeah. there were the, the defensive plays as well. But even you talked about the, the ball in for Rashford. I would talk about the ball that in for, the for Daniel James, that yes. goal, where Pogba basically just like, like gets the ball, drives forward, and but then like weights the ball perfectly. Doesn't and he then, draws people in? Right, just the right moment is when he releases Daniel Jones. And it's a weird minor thing. Yes, it, he does that. And then it's a weird minor thing of kind of he doesn't stop his run, but he doesn't then like go sprinting forward and scream for the ball back or isn't trying to get his name necessarily on the score sheet. He plays that ball in and then sort of tracks the ball, keeps himself in a good position so that if the shot doesn't come off and there's like a chance for Chelsea to get the ball and break back the other way, Pogba moves into a defensive central position where he can kind of put that out and limit the counterattack. So it was sort of that moment of like, oh, he didn't go marauding and try to get his own goal. He set off a little bit and set himself up to be the kind of first wave defender yep. if need be. I like that. Too. And I really think with this, wasn't Manuel one of the youngest teams fielded in the Premier League? Yeah. This weekend. There's no player over the age of 26. So he suddenly is one of the most uh, experienced and mature players. Mm-hmm. So he's almost like a de facto captain mm-hmm. on the field for United, taking on this big leadership role. I'm excited to watch that Paul Pogba this year. Isn't it weird that like the two senior leaders on that team in terms of age were, I think, Pogba and Jesse Lingard? <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's a weird thing to think about. It is weird. I've got one final Man United question for What's you. That? Do you know who the next opponent is? I don't. It's a little team called Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, that's right. That's and it's right. next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's right. Off. I want to propose These to are you. things that I hear and then they go out the other year because I thought like, should we watch it on, on Monday in studio? Should we do that? That's what I want to propose okay. to you. Like, You do the weekend review with Ryan but then maybe I'll come in and we'll watch Man United Wolves together and then we'll just do our sort of almost quick take, hot take like straight afterwards we'll record the TSS Derby. We'll get a review of that show out. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, having watched Man United, I'm terrified for that game. Uh, uh, wolves are good. Wolves are defensive. <laughs> 
They, cer- they certainly rocked a 5-3-2 for 90 minutes. They did. <laughs> that they did, my friend. Should we move on quickly before we, uh, before we run out of time here on I this suppose podcast? suppose we should. Next question comes from Shreyas Romani. Mm-hmm. Shreyas wants to know, what were the arguments for and against closing the Premier League transfer window before the season begins, and do you like it or not? So for people who don't know, Premier League transfer window, the Premier League clubs voted to close the transfer window yep. on... Thursday night because then Friday it was Liverpool Norwich. Mm-hmm. So pros and cons, and do we like it or not? This is the second season they've done this now. They've yes, up, yeah. Um, so I am very conflicted on this, and it's like, and I say that just up front to say like I, I don't want to just be like, well, but yes, but no, but yes, but yeah. that is kind of my answer, which is I think in theory it is the best way to go. I think if if everybody is doing that, I think it makes much more sense because now you know we've got to get our team in place. We can't add. We've kind of got to gamble or roll the dice or decide we're not going to gamble. We've got to bring in this player. I yep. think that all works because once you're set, you're set, and you can start building from there. If you're a smaller I mean, team— To me, it makes the first couple of weeks of the season feel like, all right, these are the teams, not yeah. like— Oh, Liverpool good, look good, but are they going to sign Van Dijk or not? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You actually know this is the team at least until January 1st. Yes. And then for smaller teams as well, it's almost like the looming specter of like VAR in a game after the goal's been scored when you're like, is it going to be VAR? Is it a goal that's going to stand? I feel like the first couple of weeks of the Premier League season when the transfer window is still alive is that same thing of like, well, yeah, this guy's being really good for Bournemouth right now. I keep picking on Bournemouth for whatever. <laughs> this player's really good for Brighton right now, but are they going to stick around? Like, I don't know yet. We'll hold off. We'll wait oh, and we see. Oh, we might lose him in two weeks into the season. And so, you know, at least from a Premier League, league club that's not going to happen but that's the problem is that it's only the premier league that's closing this window or like i guess what the championship as well like english teams but top, what, two, top two divisions is what it yeah, is. Uh, yeah uh september 2nd windows close in spain france germany italy no italy are going with august 23rd well then the bbc have lied to me <laughs> uh but i say that to say like that's the issue is that but those clubs can still sign your players so though brighton might not have to worry about say wolves coming in and snatching up one of their players they still have to worry about lots of yeah. other teams doing that do they though because here's my counterpoint is english teams have so much money mm-hmm. they don't have to sell if they don't want to. Mm. And they also can put themselves in a position now where they can say, well, we can't replace him, so we're not selling him to you. Not like, you know what I'm saying? I do, but then what happens when the player demands a transfer? You say, maybe January, maybe next summer. You exactly. And then you at least keep him in mm-hmm. the current window. I think English teams have enough financial muscle um, that they're able to withstand the draw of... It would be different if, um, say, Eden Hazard had moved to Real Madrid. If that hadn't gone through yet, that would be looming over because that's such a special, like... Big player going to a, you know the Galactico team. That would be the one weird different case. But I think with something like, say, Christian Eriksen's a good example, I don't think there's the same situation. Why? Just because I think that the move seemed to be Manchester United, right? And there's not Barcelona Real Madrid coming in for him. And it's, it, I'm basically saying it's a rare case where it's one of those two mega teams that have that pull that can pull you away from the Premier League. It's almost only those two that can do it. And if, they're, if they've already got what they want and they're not interested anymore, mm. then... Premier League teams are safe. So I think we may just agree to disagree on that one. But my, my other point I wanted to get to was the idea that, like, I think it hurts teams in England because, like, other clubs in Europe. Uh, what, what was the one that we were just talking about off air, like West Ham? Frankfurt? Oh, uh, Sebastian Haller, Thank the you. new striker. They paid mm. £45 million for him from Eintracht Frankfurt. Right. Club record signing. And I think that, like, Frankfurt know, hey, your window's closing. We don't, like, we can go out and sign a replacement. We don't, we're not worried about this. Somebody else may even come in for him. So, like, you better pay over the top. And I think yeah. that's where it becomes problematic, that if we're not all operating on the same timetable, yeah. then other teams can take advantage. And it maybe doubles down where, because they know Premier League teams have got money, they mm-hmm. know they can demand 
those big yeah. fees and they know there's a time crush, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, they definitely can ask for more money because they know they've got it. Uh, so I think I would – so like, to go back to the question, I would like it to be that everybody's on the same page. Yeah. And so if like England can force the other like countries to that's, come along, then that's great. But if they don't and it stays this way, I think I would rather go back to everybody being on the same page. So I actually don't know the, the full truth of it because mm-hmm. I'm certain that I read somewhere that Italy – were going to close their transfer window on the 23rd of August. Their season starts the 24th of August, Mm -hmm. which would make them the first league to sort of do what the Premier League are doing. But you said you'd seen it September 2nd, so maybe that's not happening. I mean, who knows? Who knows what the internet says? Somebody knows. Someone someone in Italy knows, right? Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't be surprised if we start edging towards every every, uh, league doing this and shutting things down the day before their season starts. We shall see. We We shall shall see. Next question? I think so. All right. I'm trying to think if I have anything else like to, to add on with this one. Aside from just – oh, because – yes, I do. I knew there was one more thing I wanted to get to, which was that it's a personal thing for me. But I also – like I don't like multiple deadline days. Like I, <laughs> I think it, it's confusing. And it has always been the case that like I feel like Spain has always been a week later for whatever reason, which is why you get David De Gea fax gate. I thought FIFA always did like September 1st or September 2nd. It's Maybe like the Premier League moved it a week – like a week further back than everybody just to like – we're changing it a little bit <laughs> gradually, but there was a Spanish thing where they're on Central European time, so it might just be an hour later. I can't remember what it was, but there was a reason why, like Madrid could sign De Gea, but like United, I guess they could have gotten somebody in exchange. I forget how it works, but either way, I like the idea just of don't it your being. Fax machine. Everything's fine. I just want it to be one window because it really is like if the wind, like it's like the window closes in England, but wait, now like. Are, Wait, is Neymar still being shopped? Is Coutinho around? Did Coutinho go to somebody? <laughs> Where did that end up happening? And I, I don't love that. I like, like just for like my own personal perspective, I like the idea of it all kind of being uniform, so I know what's happening and when it's done happening. I've got a crazy take. Hmm. It should be even earlier. Uh, yeah, because that's crazy. If you think of like uh, David Luiz moving to Arsenal, like right towards the end mm-hmm. of the transfer window, but not in time to play. Yeah. Like Moisey Ken arriving at Everton, but mm-hmm. not quite in time. So even the first week of the season. All the new signings are not quite ready to go because a lot yep. of them have signed 24, 48 mm-hmm. hours, two hours before. Yep. Um, you could argue that maybe it should all, all the business should be done by the end of July so that you have your full team for at least a week before before your kickoff. I've, I kind of don't really believe this, but I'm playing what I'm going to call Daryl's advocate. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> and I'm willing to accept yeah. you playing Daryl's advocate yeah. and leave it there. My question then, flipping this around though, is like, is there an argument to be made? <laughs> There's not, but... As a weird thought experiment, would it work going the opposite direction of like the way North American sports do it where you have like up until a certain day and then you can no longer sign players for the rest of the season and not having the January window? So no January. Like, uh, uh, but like you can sign players until like the 1st of October or something like that. So you have a longer time to see if things are working or even like the end of October. I don't know. Or would one, that be even more destructive? I don't know which one I'd prefer. I think that would be more destructive because then you've suddenly I, got lingering rumors for two months as opposed to two weeks. I can say, we talked about this on the show last week or the week before, right? It was more fun when there was just no windows. You could mm-hmm. just sign anyone at any time because it meant that all the people get excited about transfer speculation mm-hmm. when it was just constant and yep. anything could happen at any minute. There was a certain terrifying thrill to that. Yes. <laughs> it's, always, it's always frustrating when your team has managed to hold on to the big name player through the window and then like the first story after the window is closed is like but will he still be here next year yeah. and it's like come on man we just did this <laughs> we just did this we just <laughs> solved this uh, you ready for the next question I suppose it's from Daniel Barnett Daniel Barnett wants to know what do you think of VAR's implementation in the Premier League from the first weekend mm-hmm. how does it compare to Major League Soccer two years in 
All right. I, I'm, I don't know if I have strong thoughts on the second part, but the first one, I think it was implemented aside from the moment when a game had to be delayed. Uh, Liverpool-Norwich had to be delayed for five minutes because VAR literally was not working. So the earpiece was broken. Yeah. Right? yeah. Aside from that, I think it has gone about as well as it could. I uh, agree. Be- because even though – and Ryan and I talked about sort of the like, like oh, Raheem me Sterling. And Ryan, me yeah, and Ryan. we're best friends. Uh, <laughs> we talked a little bit about like the yeah, government. You get Jason's one English one. friend. You know that, right? Is that all? Yeah. Well, how many do you get? I get as many as I want. Okay. Yeah. But only Americans get one? I only get one American friend and it's you. I've chosen. you got to choose. I'm going to tell your wife that. <laughs> it's going to be awkward. She's more of a lover. And your dog. He's technically American <laughs> as well. Uh, but we, we talked about like how kind of frustrating it was when the goal was disallowed for Gabriel Jesus because Raheem Sterling's like quarter inch of an armpit was offside. Yeah, but it was offside. But it was offside. And that's the thing. Is like, Are we on the same page as yeah, this? I mean, yeah. yeah. And so I think like you can get annoyed with that. You can get annoyed with the penalty retake because it was encroachment, although I will not because that's a thing that annoys me. But I think like those moments aside, that's sort of the sort of like, yeah, welcome to it. That's what VAR mm-hmm. is. I, I thought it, it was nice because, again, you have that sort of like check on everything that's happening. You don't have to worry about Obviously, like incorrect goals that were given or weren't given, you can sort of go to the tape and figure it out. And I would say the the inverse mm-hmm. of the Raheem Sterling offside for the Gabriel Jesus goal moment, where again he was offside by like half an armpit yep. or whatever it was. Um, the, remember the Raheem Sterling goal where he uh, lobs Fabianski? Yep. It's an absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. goal. He looks offside mm-hmm. when you see it live. You sort of like, oh, well, he's miles offside. Yep. But it turns out he has timed his run. 100% perfectly mm-hmm. and there's a chance under the old regime that that might have just been flagged for offside because yeah. it looks so offside, it looks offside. And it, but because the flag stays down yep. because they, they wait because they know they've got the second chance at VAR that beautiful beautiful really smart crafty intelligent goal gets to stand because of VAR yes. right? the Declan Rice um, encroachment mm-hmm. that might not have been spotted mm-hmm. but that was correct right? because he encroaches and it's Declan Rice that gets to the ball first yeah. after the save worth reiterating not Fabianski being off his line even though he was yes and they might have called it for that anyway I think they're not doing that is what the commentator said in the game that they're like not so worried about the goalkeepers on a penalty as much as they are the encroachment which apparently is why that was retaken okay but we agree right definitely yeah. encroach and then for me the big reason I think this VAR worked mm-hmm. um, is the branding of it was good and the mm-hmm. communication was good did you see in every step and they had big screens yep. where it would say VAR with that special font they have mm-hmm. and then goal check or red card check yep. or offside check. They would tell people what was going on, which I'm pretty sure was not present uh, during the Women's World Cup. Not that I remember. I don't remember there being enough communication to the crowd about what was happening. So essentially there's less confusion, right? Everyone's, I know everyone hates standing around waiting to see if it was a goal or not, but at least it says VAR goal check. You know what's going on. Unless you're at Enfield or Old Trafford, who do not have giant displays. That's oh, the, okay. It's the one wrinkle there. But yes, but I some display, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, think that I, I actually think yeah. that's a key element of making VAR work, is communicating to the crowd and therefore to TV viewers yeah. what is going on right now. Uh, yes, and I think the TV viewership, aspect of it is also important that I felt like a lot of the commentators I heard talking about it and even some of the pundits I think you didn't get as much of the like hyperbolic this is against football this is how it used to be this is changing this isn't okay it gets old right hearing that over and over again and maybe this was just a briefing of like look embrace it because it's here and it's not going to change and we don't want you just spending the entire game complaining about it yeah it's like Amazon you can't get rid of it now. no you can't even though you know armed resurrection we'll see what happens but um but I think like in this case it it almost helped because the commentators were on board and they're like, oh, yep, he's offside. Move yeah. it on. Like, they're more chill about it and less freaked out. Exactly, right? because yeah. it's just, it is sort of an offside call and then you move on from it. And even mm-hmm. if you're annoyed by it, it's kind of the same thing. My question for you before we get to the second part of this one, it's a thing that I've been wondering about and I haven't... Really, oh, the MLS part? Yeah, yeah, I haven't asked anybody this one, but it, I've genuinely been wondering it since 
probably the Women's World Cup this summer. So you mentioned the flag stays down if there's a suspicion of offside because they can go back and review it when a goal is scored, right? Yeah. What I don't understand is what happens if a goal is indirectly scored from that. As in, say, say Daryl is offside and probably offside, the referee AR decides to let it go, Daryl dribbles and his shot is... Like turn turn wide for like a corner kick after you lay it off to somebody else, which I've seen before. You've seen the marginal calls like be allowed to play on because they don't want to raise the flag there. They've been instructed not to. And I guess what I don't get is like they don't get called back. They don't get VAR'd unless there's a goal or something like that. So if it does become a corner and then you score off the corner, corner haven't you benefited from being in an offside position? That's the wrinkle that I don't fully know how to deal with. Is it possible there's an answer to this that we don't know? Probably. I feel like they can't, there can't be this massive loophole Mm-mm. that they've let exist. I, I, you asking me that right now, yeah. I don't know the answer. I don't know yeah, how exactly. that doesn't happen. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the one thing that I don't quite get on that one. Maybe then the flag goes up anyway. What do you mean? So like, the, so a lot of the time the flag won't go up mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, we'll let this go just to see what happens and we know VAR will check it. Uh, but they, the, the AR might be confident or 60% confident mm-hmm. or 70% confident that someone was offside. Mm-hmm. So maybe after it gets tipped around for a corner, then the flag actually does yeah. go up. There was... Right? A, that's, a, that's, a, that's the, it's possible. the most sensible uh, the most sensible solution to this. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. sensible things in VAR and <laughs> the FA. It's, it's all confusing. There was one game this weekend, though, when an AR did an amazing job of, like... I can't remember what game it was, so I apologize, but it was, like, like ball played through, attacker in an offside position, defender goes to make a play on it, and whiffs, like doesn't make contact or slips in the process, the ball goes through to the offside attacker, and the referee went from offside, oh, wait, no, defender's making a play, oh, yep, now offside. Okay. And it didn't seem like it should have been, but was the correct call. And that was a moment of like, oh, okay, humans can still do stuff. Yeah. That's good to know. Humans That's still, good to yeah, know. still work. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Uber. <laughs> so, Daryl, yeah, to, to the second part of the question, how does it compare to MLS two years in when we talk about VAR? I can't say I've experienced enough MLS VAR to have yep. really strong opinions. I don't think they have the same communication system. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, that seems to be the major difference, yeah. to not have the big scoreboard saying goal check mm-hmm. or offside check or that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, it's I'm the best you. answer I can give. Yeah, maybe this is my, like my ignorance here, but I like the peculiarities or the like minute differences of how one VAR system is used to another one is not as – how do I say this? Like obvious to me. And so like we even have a question on it uh, coming up about VAR used in the Premier League and it sort of to me is like I, I don't know because mm-hmm. it's more so I just sort of like, oh, there is VAR? Well, then I'm sure it will make sense over the course of the game is kind of how I approach yeah. it. I don't really look at – comparing it between also, an international competition and one league and another. I also think each new league that or each new mm-hmm. competition that uses it gets to learn from the mistakes of the past. So yep. MLS going two years ago mm-hmm. was actually kind of a brave move yeah. to be one of the original leagues doing it. You know what I mean? Since then we've had, you know, various tournaments. We have the Women's World Cup. Now we have the Premier League. Premier League gets to learn from all those mistakes. You're welcome, the world. Well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. And b- b- before we get to that question. It's a hotbed of innovation here in the United States. Well, you tell me. Do you want to answer the, the other VAR question? And I think then... just for time, we should, we should uh, get to today's second advertiser. All right. I also want to steal myself for that question. Okay. <laughs> so today's show is sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. Speaking of Daryl stealing himself, the razors are made of steel. That's what I'm going to go with because – Are they for sure? Uh, I'm pretty sure they are. Who knows? But maybe they're like some carbon fiber monofilament <laughs> situation. I can tell you they are high quality. They are. Because Dollar Shave Club is all about the high quality of their products. They spent years developing, crafting, and refining everything. You're literally holding a set of razor blades in your hand right now. I, I am because they sent us – We got a nice, re-up. We got a re-up. Mm-hmm. We got our shave butter. Is that what Omar calls it? Uh, Yes. We got our (laughs) shave butter. We got our post-shave dew. We got our razor blades. And most importantly for Daryl Grove, he got his prep scrub. 
Dr. Carver's mandatory prep script. Mandatory. I take that literally. You it's don't mandatory. believe it? Read it. I mean, I believe you. I'm just like, I want to know what makes it mandatory. Wow. It does indeed, what it does makes indeed it, say mandatory. What makes it mandatory is that it's so good you have to use it every day. Otherwise, what, you feel bad. What are the things that are on the? Oh, it's so it's it's rocks and walnuts. Is that what I'm seeing on the label there? <laughs> is it diamonds? Is it the things that exfoliate? Is that what it's we're the led to believe? Things that exfoliate. It's the exfoliators. Mm-hmm. There's the exfoliators on the packaging. Uh, my, we uh, we're at the beach recently, uh, as as you will no doubt know from Island Taylor. Mm-hmm. And my wife has the innate ability to get sand on her immediately, even before sunscreen <laughs> is applied. And so we just chose to think of it as like. Applying sunscreen with a little bit of sand in it is sort of a form of exfoliation, but we both agree that the prep scrub is more fun because it's <laughs> less sort of guesswork and more so actually working. Um, yeah, I think there's more research going into you that think? than into your weird beach experiment. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so as well as the prep scrub, what else do we like? The shampoo. The shampoo is always good. Mm. The uh, what sage and black pepper yes. shampoo. Yes. What are you laughing? <laughs> is that still your favorite product? Is it? Is it? No, it's it's prep scrub, and then is it those two shampoos? Prep scrub is yeah. the league winner, and just a couple points behind, um, it's the uh, the shampoo. That's yeah. fair. I do enjoy like all of the different pre- and post-shave products that they offer because I enjoy comparing and seeing what works better. The shave butter is pretty solid, I have to say. I used it uh, before heading home from the beach. Uh, I, I shaved it up, and I did have like uh, baby skin where, where, the, where the hair used to be. So if you want baby skin on your face, use their shave butter. <laughs> Or have a baby. Or have a baby. <laughs> but then don't put that on your face. That'd be weird. <laughs> right now, you can put the quality of Dollar mm-hmm. Shave Club's products to the test. Their ultimate starter sets have everything you need for an amazing shower, close shave, or clean teeth. We didn't even mention the teeth. The two um, The best part is you can try each one for just $5. That's one of the starter sets. After that, the restock box ships regular-sized products that like we just received at regular prices. Get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's Dollar Shave Club dot com slash dss thank you very much to dollar shave club for sponsoring today's episode and for keeping daryl's skin as exfoliated as possible i appreciate it i'm sure everyone else does too maximum exfoliation all right daryl i believe that's what uh deadpool says right uh certainly (laughs) uh andrew langan next question here we go were wolves cheated by var uh dendonker headed the ball into willy bully's arm in my opinion says andrew to me it was just incidental contact did you talk with your other english friend about this no okay so this is fresh this is fresh. We'll wait. We'll wait until you get halfway through, and then I'll say, like, yeah, we already talked about this. <laughs> so, yeah, so Wolves uh, tied Leicester nil-nil. Mm-hmm. Um, Somehow the nil-nil draw did not make it into the weekend review, no. It was not a good game. It was, it was Wolves defending in a back five and Leicester not being able to you break know, it Before down. we get to the question, i gotta be, I got a bone to pick with you about that one. Yeah, yeah. You have led me to believe, and last season did, that Wolves were going to be an exciting, super fun team. Leicester, the same. I was really excited for this game. I watched this game over whatever was on NBC. I sat along. And you know what, Daryl? I didn't enjoy this game, so good, and it's your right. fault. I really enjoyed the um, upping of the tempo between mm-hmm. uh, Wolves-Leicester and then Manchester United-Chelsea. Yeah. I really felt like, oh, this is the Premier League. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was, that was the mid-table. This is the Premier League. Yeah, I think League. I left Arsenal-Newcastle, maybe. Were those happening at the same time? Or was yeah, Wolves, uh, okay. Wolves game and the Arsenal game happened the same there we time. Go. There we yeah. go, there we go. Um, okay, so here's what happened. It was mm-hmm. nil-nil. But apology but accepted, yeah. In the second half, Dendonka, Wolves midfielder, scored a close-range volley. But it's from a corner that went up. Dendonka... And Willie Bolly sort of headed the ball at the same time mm-hmm. into Bolly's arm. Yep. Um, it bounced off of Bolly's arm, dropped, and then Dundunker sort of let it bounce once and volleyed it uh, straight into the net, right? Mm-hmm. So we thought 1-0, but it was ruled out for handball. My feeling is 
Wolves were not cheated. Okay. Wolves were not cheated. It was just incidental contact, but there's been a change to the laws. Here is the IFAB change to law 12. I'm just going to read it out. Um, The following handball situations, even if accidental, will be a free kick, colon. The ball goes into the goal after touching an attacking player's hand or arm. Mm -hmm. And it did. And it did. Then the Premier League have sort of interpreted this themselves for their website. And they say any goal, any goal scored or created with the use of the hand or the arm will be disallowed this season, even if it is accidental. Mm -hmm. So as accidental as it was, Bolly knew nothing about it. Danaka just headed it into his arm. The rule is, the law is, any contact with the arm, we're just going to... It's different when it's a, essentially it's different when it's a goal, right? If it's yep. a goal, if there's any contact with the arm, we are absolutely not counting it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be disallowed. It's going to be a free kick to the opposition, right? And this is where VAR gets confusing, in my opinion, because there are like intricacies and rule changes, and it seems like it shouldn't be given, but it is being given because that's the correct interpretation. And I think all you and I can do is sort of explain the moments as they happen and see if we can make like sense of how they're being called yeah. but also see if the consistency is there because we've seen that in seasons past that like a new rule you can't surround the referee you can't talk to the referee yeah. is enforced for like a week or two and then it yeah. fades away so I'm it turns curious. out to be you can't surround the referee for the first two weeks yes exactly <laughs> and then eh whatever so I, I, I then Roy King can just go head to head with refs yeah that's fine <laughs> uh, but I do really want to see then like if they continue to call it this way, if VAR, because VAR does seem like it lends itself to... Yeah, you can spot any any contact with the hand in the box by the attacking team yeah. in the build-up to a goal can be found, right? Yeah. Thierry Henry would not have got away with it against Ireland. True. That is definitely true, and that's <laughs> the immediate one I thought of. But it's also that like because it is video replay, to me it is much more concrete and therefore difficult to just sort of be like, oh, never mind, we're not doing that anymore, the way yeah. it used to be. So You can't get away with it, right? You can't get away with not enforcing the rules. Yeah, so yeah. If, there's, if there's a goal... In week 10, when Liverpool is playing Man City or whenever that happens, and this sort of scenario happens again, I want to see if it gets called that same way or if it does get loosened or changed or adjusted I mean, over the course to, of the season. Right? That's why, I mean, I, I can't see a, a situation where it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I can't Because of what you said about VAR, I can't, because they use VAR, everything will be seen. There's no way they can ignore it. Yeah. Well, I think I think what I struggle with I'll with freak VAR, out if it does because I'll be really mad that this goal should have stood. Well, I think there's just so <laughs> many ways, though, that it can be, like... Like, as an example, what happened if Dendonker headed this onto, like, an opposition player's arm and then it came back and he scored? Does the goal stand? Is the handball given? Does that factor because it's no, not it's a No, it's about teammate? the attacking team handball situation. I, I I think so, but it's still a handball. Like, the ball is that goes into advantage? the goal after touching an attacking player's handball. Okay, so, okay that's the phrase. so that makes a big yeah. difference then. Okay. They use the correct words, yeah. at least in this situation. That, that's what I want, because yeah. I get nervous when suddenly there seems to be two rules that conflict with each other. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of, do you know about the deflections thing? Yes. So this is not part of the IFAB law change. It's part of sort of Premier League guidelines that are on the Premier League website. There's a separate section called deflections. And here's the phrasing. Premier League players will be allowed extra leeway when it comes to ricocheted handballs. Um, here's the full phrase. It is often impossible to avoid contact when the ball, with the ball if it is deflected off the body of an opponent, teammate, or even another part of the own player. So a handball will not be awarded if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from their own head slash body slash foot or the head slash body slash foot of another player who is close slash nearby. Now, you could see that as overruling or superseding the rule about no contact with the arm in the build-up to a goal. But I think this is more like the other way around, right? Like In the run of play this deflection rule is going to be enforced. Like it can bounce off your arm, but it's okay mm-hmm. if it's a ricochet. But when there's a goal, no contact with the arm whatsoever is the, the, my logical way of interpreting this based on how this Dendonka goal was ruled out. That makes sense. 
what, I'm drawing what, conclusions from what I've seen, essentially. That's fine. But what, I, what I'm realizing in the conclusions that you're drawing is that I feel like what we are sort of headed for is changes to the rules that we've talked about, like the daylight rule for offside. I feel like that may be not as far away as I had initially thought because a yeah, lot of this the, could be the catalyst for it. Yeah, because a lot of this is sort of moving towards making it harder to score goals. That if you're going to be off, caught offside yeah, by not intentionally, right? But the the sort of yeah. the result of it is that it gets harder. But to it score also goals. feels like the one that you were just talking about. It's basically like if you gain an advantage, not even get an advantage, but if the like it it your teammate even inadvertently handles the ball and then you score, that goal gets called back. But it also feels like the one that you were just talking about with deflections is designed to prevent that going the opposite way. And any time a defender touches the ball, no matter what, it's going to be a penalty. That's not going to be the case. So it feels yeah. like defender yeah, doesn't that, get penalized, but attacker does. Do we, and, do we interpret that the same way, that yeah. that ricochet rule means mm-hmm. that like if, like if you and I are centre-backs and we're yeah. really close to each other and I just head it directly into your arm, mm-hmm. it won't be a penalty yeah. because like I did something stupid, but we shouldn't be penalised yeah. for it. Yeah. But, the, but then it, it helps defenders. I won't do that, by the way. But season. then flipping that around, please don't. But then flipping it around, if we're attackers in the box and you do that, then the goal is disallowed. It just feels like all of VAR is suddenly moving towards that goal is disallowed, that goal is disallowed. Oh, no, you don't get a penalty because that yeah. goal doesn't actually count. Yeah, and like, I w- but I would clarify by saying mm-hmm. it's not VAR doing that. It's the rules are going that way. Exactly. But VAR yeah. is making sure everything gets caught. Yeah. Raheem, Starling's armpit, Raheem Sterling's armpit gets caught. Yeah, which is why I'm saying that like it's not VAR that's going to change. It's yeah. the rules that will yes. have to change because suddenly we're going to start getting a lot of nil-nil games that maybe could have been 2-1, to one, but that goal didn't stand and that goal didn't stand and that goal didn't stand. Oh, and that player was sent off when... And in the past, they wouldn't have been. So are we optimistic that long-term this could be positive, that VAR could force more attacking changes to the laws, like laws that favour the attack? Yeah, I think so. I not think this year, but next year? And soon and for the rest of our lives? Maybe not quite that soon, but <laughs> yes. I, I think the wheels of FIFA turn slower than that unless money's involved. <laughs> All right, we've got two more questions to go. Let's do it. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, Raghav Gupta. Raghav Gupta wants to know, who's going to be the breakout star of the lower half teams? Okay. No, it's always no worth- Chelsea jokes. Okay, I will not. It is it is kind of tough to know who will be bottom half this year. That's true. So I've gone with kind of the most likely contenders, and I have a few different names. Are, are, do you, do you mind oh, if I, I just have I, the one? I but you go for it. Oh, okay, yeah. so you've narrowed it down already. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I've chosen I, a hero, but may- I want to hear your your list of potential heroes. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think I've got. I'm going to say Aston Villa will probably not finish top half, which means it's Jack Grealish. I think that's the, okay. that's the star who's a player we already know a lot about, but you look at his performance against Spurs and you see why Spurs wanted to sign him initially, or what, last season, I think. And, and it does feel like a different player. I didn't watch him in the championship at all, maybe a little bit in the playoffs. I did, but even he then, was terrifyingly good. And that's, but I remember him with Villa back in the Premier League and being like, yeah, he seems like he could be one of those players who will be good but maybe isn't. And to see him this weekend was just like, oh, no, he's real good. <laughs> and I'm really excited to see what he does. Did you see his role in Spurs winning goal? So no. It's, Jack, so Jack Grealish has done a lot of good work. Uh-huh. I watch this game quite closely. Um, a lot of good work, like Villa counterattacks yeah. will be Grealish accelerates, dribbles mm-hmm. away from people. He's actually quicker than people think, yep. right? And he's really hard to get the ball off of. The second And quicker on the ball and difficult to get off of yes. is the key thing there. Yeah, real fast. It really but is, right? It. Mm-hmm. But at 1-1, it's whatever minute it is, like 85th minute, mm-hmm. I think, the ball pops loose to Grealish at the top of the box and he tries to dribble out of pressure, gets tackled, Harry Kane scores. Live by the and sword, I, die by the sword, man. I think there's also... Um, 
I don't want to be too specific here, but there are, you know, I'm from that region, right, where mm-hmm. Jack Grealish is from and plays for Aston Villa. There are rumours that his refueling habits have not always been the best in terms ah. of his lifestyle. And a lot of people aren't surprised that towards... Bo- booze, allegedly? I'm not saying anything specific. Okay. Um, that towards the end of games, maybe he's not in as good shape as he, as he would be and he's not making great decisions. All right. So I agree he's incredibly talented, but I have concerns about Jack Grealish. That's fair. Um, can we j- at least agree to call him Jackie Boy? Because yes. I feel like, doesn't he look like a Jackie Boy? He just feels like he should be called like, Jackie Boy! I will almost guarantee that his like, parents or grandparents call him Jackie Boy. Well, that's his name. <laughs> I'm also very excited while we're on the subject of Villa. I think Trezeguet could be one. That's one that we followed yeah. since the 2018 World Cup, but maybe a little bit before. Yeah, because he was like the other Mo Salah. Yes, yeah. exactly. When Mo Salah was injured, he uh-huh. was the Mo Salah, uh-huh. although not quite as effective. Um, so that, uh, Grealish was my number one nominee. Uh, Temu, I think it is, not Temu, but Temu uh, Puki. Uh, 29 goals for Norwich, Norwich last season, yeah. championship golden boot winner. I think uh, uh, Ryan and I talked about this briefly. Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher talked about this a lot. Uh, Daniel Forke, the manager of Norwich, I think they're going to play the way they play, which is open and aggressive at attacking. So I think Puki will still get goals, and I think we'll have to if Norwich want to stay alive. That's number two. And number three for me is a little bit more like – I could see this happening it's Andy Carroll who has gone back to Newcastle on the free but Andy Carroll for Steve Bruce I think maybe he ends up being a sort of like stick it on his head exactly and I think (laughs) the other side of that is I I don't think this goes well for Miguel Moron I I just what about Andy Carroll knockdowns for Miguel Almiron to be running onto? I, I think I meant more so... crosses that Carroll's on the end of? I think I meant Newcastle in general under Steve Bruce might not be great for Miguel Almiron because at least Rafa Benitez had the kind of years of experience coming into Newcastle, but then with Newcastle knowing who could do what and how to play, yeah. and then he got Miguel Almiron, that it feels like Steve Bruce is going to be doing a lot of damage control and then just hoof it long to Andy and see what happens. <laughs> but maybe Miguel Almiron will be that spark. Who knows? I did hear um, Christian Henege, mm-hmm. I think is how you pronounce it, or Henege, uh, was on the Cooligans, and he was talking about Miguel Almiron. The fans love him because mm-hmm. you know he gets the ball and dribbles, yeah. but he has zero goals and zero assists so far. And, and apparently there's a bit of pressure building on him, not from the fans, but almost... Almiron on himself to actually register something on the statute. Which he kind of did this weekend in that I believe he got a yellow for diving. So <laughs> not quite what maybe he was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So those are my sort of three shortlist nominees. Who okay. else have you got? Um, I've got just one. It's mm. Aston Villa. It's Tyrone Mings. Okay. I watched Tyrone Mings uh, play centre-back for Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a bit of a collapse towards the end, but for 80 minutes or so, Tyrone, Ming- Tyrone Mings was an absolute wall. was impossible to go past. Like Harry Kane was having trouble with Tyrone Mings. Yep. And then he also brought the ball out the back, hit that big left-footed ball uh, that McGinn got in mm-hmm. the end of to score Villa's goal. Yep. So I think Tyrone Mings uh, will be a defensive stalwart and we will have some of those weird... Like, you know, there's defensive performances that aren't necessarily better than when you cut out danger before it even starts. But when you're the one that's always blocking shots, he seems to have those type of performances. He will stand out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because he'll be in the thick of it and it'll be him blocking blocking shots heading balls away, and bringing the ball out of the back. So I think Tyrone Mings might even get an England shout this year. So two questions then. If we both are kind of excited about a couple different Villa players, do we think Villa will do better than, say, like relegation zone, fighting for relegation survival? Yeah, but I'm still saying bottom half, like 11th or 12th. That's fair. But then that leads to my next question is like, this is a weird idea, but like, are Villa benefiting from Fulham last season, who like came in, <laughs> had a lot of expectations, signed a ton of players, and then it did not work? Because I feel like that's why people Do you are mean little... benefiting in terms of how we're writing them. Kind of, but just because like because it so did not work for Fulham that I feel like expectations, like most of the Villa preview stuff I saw, was sort of a like, are they doing a Fulham? Is it going to work for them or not? But I feel like it sort of 
lowers the expectation because Fulham were so bad. It's not a, oh, they've gone out and spent a bunch of money and they've got all these players. It better work out or else. Instead, it's like, they're trying to be Fulham. We'll see what happens. And I almost feel like when you're coming from the negative perspective, it puts you into like, oh, no, they won a few games. Yeah. They're doing great. And I also think that's kind of, if people are saying that, that's kind of lazy analysis, just basing yeah. it on how much money. Because the big difference is Villa defending a low block and counterattack through players like Jack mm-hmm. Grealish and Trezeguet. Whereas Fulham were just like, hey, we're going to play three at the back and send our wing backs all the way up and we're going to be wide open. And it worked in the championship. So it'll probably work in the Premier League. Can we literally we buy keep, goals? That'd be helpful. conceding goals? Why is that? <laughs> if we give you £10 million, can we just have a goal? Is that allowed? <laughs> we're Fulham. So those are two very different approaches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, <laughs> other like minor nominees I had in there. Aaron Moy moving to Brighton on, a, on oh, yeah. a loan. He didn't play, right? Or at least mm-hmm. he didn't start. Nor did Danny Drinkwater for Burnley. That's another one that I Danny think. Danny Drinkwater went to Burnley? Yeah. I did not know that. That's... I'm so happy for Danny Drinkwater to get to play football that's again. That's another loan. And then the last one was, uh, well, no, that's enough. That's plenty. I've listed plenty. No, do we, we can end it there. We can end it there. But oh, yes, right. I still am very excited about Patrick Cutrone for Wolves. Even though they're not going to be bottom half, I think he will end up being a very good impact player for you all. He looked very good at the press when mm-hmm. he came on, but not brilliant in terms of his first few touches. Yeah. So, but I, I can be patient. I can be patient with Patrick Cutrone. I, I think when, the network, when he backs himself, when he seems confident, as he did in the games that I watched from Milan, he scores goals. And I think oh, yeah. that like he kind of ha- backs himself to finish from tighter angles and to kind of hit those big goals in a way that the reason why it stands out is because Wolves <laughs> seemed very hesitant to shoot. And that remember was remember that one of Jimenez had a chance with his left foot and cut back to use his right uh, but yes, cut I back do. into two lesser defenders? Yes, I do. And I remember yeah. Jota. I think the one that made me think like, okay, Cutrone was a big signing was when Jota himself, I think, got a ball in a very clear shooting opportunity and then passed it. And then the next time he's like, no, I'm shooting no matter what and was not in a good shooting position and shot 10 yards wide. Yep. I mean, the big deal is, so quickly to go on Wolves, last year we started mm-hmm. with a one-up front system. It was like a 3-4-3 three, three type mm-hmm. thing. Switched to a 5-3-2, but didn't have that many extra strikers, right? So Jota, who'd been like this attacking winger, became the second striker yep. alongside Jimenez. But then there really wasn't a third striker to bring in at all. So it's actually a big deal to yep. sign another player who could potentially be a starting striker. Yeah. So now we have competition for places up front for Wolves. Yeah. And yeah. you can have the rotation as well. So it's not the same two every yes. game, but you could have the kind of different combinations yeah. as you go. Jimenez can take a break. Yeah. Go watch some wrestling. Lovely. Or, or whatever he wants to Lovely. do. Lovely. Uh, two more questions. Mm-hmm. This is a nice long show. I'm yep. really getting my money's worth here. Uh, <laughs> Robert Cordova. Mm-hmm. Robert Cordova wants to know, after only one week of the Premier League, did you notice that NBC Sports... Uh, NBC Sports Network's graphics look more like Sky Sports graphics. Uh, would like to hear your thoughts on this, especially Daryl's thoughts, since he is more familiar with it. Thanks. I'm going to break precedent here, and I'm going to say, or protocol here, and say that, I mean, Robert has asked specifically for your thoughts. So, Daryl, what are your thoughts? I think they're identical because, I looked into this, Comcast, mm-hmm. which owns NBC, recently bought Sky Sports. As they do. So they're now, I mean, because we're heading to a world where there's only one company that yep. owns everything, um, they just use the same... Remember Resident Evil was a hilarious thing because it was called the Umbrella Corporation and we were like, ah, there's no way one company will own everything. Oh boy. We were heading that way, yeah. right? Maybe Disney will save us. Zombies, um, man. So, Zombies are coming. So yeah, Comcast owns NBC, owns Sky Sports. Mm-hmm. They just reuse the graphics on both because why, why would you have two different graphics when you're one big company? Yeah. yeah. No, you wouldn't. So that's what's happening there. There we are. Yeah. That's a very quick answer to a very short question. Yeah. It's the right answer. I agree. And now I've helped with my answer. Uh, final question comes from David Greenberg, who asks, as a U.S. men's national team supporter, which two or three, although given that it's us, Seven to eight uh, <laughs> non-Major League Soccer teams should I be following? Um, I would go Lille. Okay. Tim Weyer mm-hmm. moved there from PSG. Tim Weyer, no place for Lille 
um, in Ligue 1 in France. Mm-hmm. And he's been starting. Um, he started this past weekend. He Apparently he didn't do all that well and kind of got outshone by another 20-year-old striker, a young Nigerian whose name I've forgotten, who scored both of Lille's goals. Yeah. Way was subbed off around the hour mark. He was. I watched uh, maybe 20 minutes of this game, and I would say that, like, yeah, that's about my summary of it, that, like, Wea, at times I struggled to figure out where he was on the field because he wasn't on the ball as much. Was he, like, supposed to be underneath the striker? Yeah, yeah that's what I saw. That's what it seemed like. But he did have some moments where you saw, like, just those flashes of, of not even brilliance, but just like, oh, yeah, there's a player there. Was it, so I haven't seen this, but was it flashes of one-twos? Because that's the stuff I always love about him is how he connects with other players. No, I think it was a turn under pressure and just okay. like retaining the ball in a way that was smart and also technically very good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoyed those moments. But yes, it was not the like breakout game that we would have expected, nor was it for, say, uh, Josh Sargent, who I think Verda Bremen had either a preseason game or a DFB Pokal game. It was against... DFB Pokal where they scored like nine goals, right? Scored, I think it was 6-0 and he did not score. Okay. And that was a, like, yeah, but they still won. But that's probably a team to keep an eye on. I mean, pretty much any Bundesliga team, I feel like to, to David's question, yeah. has at least one American or at least like half of the Bundesliga teams have at least one American for you to keep an eye on. Schalke, mm-hmm. Northwestern McKinney. Yep. Um, weirdly, a team to watch is young PSV Yep, because they now have Richie Ledesma. Mm-hmm. And who did they just sign? Chris Gloucester. Yep. So two young Americans at young PSV, but you're going to struggle to find um, live footage of the second division of the Eredivisie. You will. So I'm going to say I'm going to the say the Eredivisie, I believe it's called. I'm going to say like like if we're going to try to make a list here for him, I would say Lille is a good shout, especially because they're going to be in the Champions League. You can get them uh, because they're a, like a higher tier league on yeah. team, so Some they're going to be on TV. Yeah. yeah, that's where I watched them this weekend. Uh-huh. Um, I would say that's By a good Fubo one. TV. Correct, my yes. friend. Uh, yes. So there's that one. I would say Ajax because Sergino Dest is getting minutes. Yes. We'll see if that continues once like the full yeah. team is established. We have a scouting report, but the, the short version of it is he made his Eredivisie debut yep. this weekend. But yeah. that's another Champions League team that I think like if you want to kind of follow Champions League teams that you might be able to see games of here and there. I think yeah. they're probably on ESPN Plus, if I were guessing. Uh, not the Champions League, but uh, Ajax Eredivisie stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's number two. I think you're right on Schalke, especially given David Wagner coming in there, which is a thing I oh, kind of yeah. forgot about. Talking to Matt Herman. McKinney might be captain, right? Really? Yeah. I've seen him with an armband. That's a question for Matt Herman, who will be on the show tomorrow. Maybe that will be out tomorrow, Tuesday, or Wednesday. We'll see what happens. Matt Herman of Talking Football. There we are. Thank you, sir. Uh, But yeah, but I think like Schalke, given Wagner coming in, who himself is a U.S. international, lest we forget, Uh Weston McKinney there, other young Americans potentially in the pipeline, potentially possibly coming through. Mm Hadji Wright no longer one of them, but still, uh, I think that's another one where you could see young Americans getting regular minutes. I've just realized... Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. Chelsea Football mm-hmm. Club, you should watch to see how Christian Pulisic I kind of goes. thought you were going to lead with that one. Yeah. It was the obvious one. It was so obvious mm-hmm. that I forgot it, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. And I think, yeah, I, I would say like, yeah, follow, follow Chelsea basically. Is it? Yeah. It's weird to say because I was going to start with like, you kind of don't need to because you're going to get reports about them all the time. But still then, if you watch the individual moments, you will start to see those sort of like, like, like uh, a turn that Pulisic did this week that maybe I was like, yeah, but who cares? Paul Pogba fouled him, whatever. But if he keeps doing that and it keeps kind of having an impact, then suddenly yeah. it's a trend. And then it's worth paying attention to. Like, say Fabinho tries it on Wednesday and he mm-hmm. evades it. Yeah. Then we're like, oh, he's learning. He's learning. He's learning. <laughs> he's adapting. He's evolving. <laughs> One more is Reading, weirdly, which will be hard to watch. But Matt Miazga mm-hmm. playing center back for them. Andrea Novakovic sometimes playing center forward for them. I, I hope sometimes. Yeah. I would take sometimes at this point. But Matt Miazga is important, right? So we should be yes. thinking about what's going on with Reading in the second tier of English football yep. with Matt Miazga. And then one more for me that I'm going to try to keep an eye on, easier said than done, is Besiktas with Tyler Boyd. Of course. Yep. I forgot he signed there. Mm-hmm. Turkish season hasn't started yet, right? No. Oh. Not that I know of, at least. 
Yeah. But that's huge, right? Because Tyler Boyd could be a massive part of the U.S. men's national team. I mean, Tyler, Tyler Boyd will be playing on the opposite wing of Ricardo Koreshma. Put it that way. Oh, so exciting. It really is? Yeah. It really is? All right. Those are all the Premier League questions. You any other I Premier League Christian stuff? Pulisic for moving to Chelsea that Tyler Boyd doesn't get more attention. Because Besiktas are not the size of Chelsea. But they're a big team in Turkey, and they're a big team sort of historically, I feel like. I can't tell if that's my Turkish bias or not. I mean, I've heard of them. They were <laughs> that way. That's it. That's all it takes right there. That's all it takes right there. When Boyd moved out, I was excited. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, anything else you want to add on the Premier League? No. I no. mean, I guess there are other leagues available. There's Scandinavia. There's Mexico. <laughs> there are players playing in all of those things. Oh, you're talking but, about US Mexico? Yeah. I was but, talking bigger picture Premier League stuff. Uh, oh, no. I, I, yep. I don't think so. Other okay. than I, I'm more excited that it's, that it's back than I thought I would be, given how much soccer we've been watching. <laughs> I told Ryan Bailey this. I've been battling with my... Um, with my sort of like frustration with Man United's front office. And I've decided that every year that they don't hire a technical director, I'm just going to like them 5% less. That's Fair my enough. plan. So right now, my capacity for enjoying Manchester United is 95%. If they don't hire a technical director again next year, 90%. <laughs> and it's just going to keep going down. I think we should make sure to uh, congratulate Bournemouth on their 1-1 draw with Sheffield United. Oh, obviously. Let's do it. <laughs> just to reference the top mm-hmm. of the show. Okay. <laughs> I think we should do this again, though. We Maybe we'll take uh, Premier League questions mm-hmm. next weekend yep. after Wolves have beaten Manchester United. Up next, we've got scouting reports from the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. Is that how it's going to be? Hopefully, they'll be so good that they will um, cheer Taylor up after I just jabbed him. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I would never troll you except when I did it publicly on Twitter yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, more updates to the TSS Scouting Network, starting with Tom Gaffney scouting James Sands, 19-year-old American defender slash midfielder for NYC FC. I really do appreciate it when people get very specific with the positions, but at the same time, it's difficult when we're explaining who they are to say, like, the 19-year-old left-back, right-back, occasional central midfielder who can also play wide. It gets a little tricky. You mean Sergio Des? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I appreciate it. I think we have one for Ryan in here that's just left side. I always like that Lovely. one. But anyway, James, James Sands, Sands yeah. returned to action for his first start following his broken arm in June and went the full 90 in a tough 3-1 loss to RSL last Saturday. Sands returned to his customary place on top of the center backs in NYCFC's three-man back line. Like on their shoulders? Yeah, exactly. It, it's a weird, they put on a trench coat, then you don't know that there's actually 12 players on the field. It's risky, but sometimes it works. <laughs> Unfortunately, it did not work here. New York's midfield was overrun most of the match by RSL's high press uh, and was under fire throughout. James made some tough tackles and didn't seem at fault for the goals against so at least there's that and at least he's back from the broken arm i remember yep. being worried about that mm-hmm. up next colin solberg is scouting marcus edwards an 18 year old american defender for wolfsburg yep marcus edwards has seen his playing time during preseason diminish with each game part of which is due to him picking up two yellow cards against psv he also seems to have picked up an injury and is most likely going to be getting the majority of his minutes with wolfsburg to this season yes colin noted that that injury, that's still good though right that injury it is colin noted that that injury report came from uh, i believe Marcus Edwards' mother on Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah, follow the player on Twitter, follow their family on Twitter. You might get some updates. <laughs> Richie Garcia scouting Emerson Hyman, the 23-year-old American midfielder, on loan at Atlanta United slash going to stay at Atlanta United. Emerson was a second-half sub in Atlanta's 3-0 win over the Galaxy and managed to draw a penalty, which Joseph Martinez buried for the third goal. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Katie Sutton is scouting Katie Cousins, the 22-year-old American holding midfielder for the University of Tennessee. We've got to be more careful in future about having scouts and players have really similar names because it's very hard to read. It is. But Katie Sutton is scouting Katie Cousins. Um, Cousins was named to the 2019 Missouri Athletic MAC Herman Trophy preseason watch list. Oh, the Herman Trophy preseason watch list by United Soccer Coaches. The Mac Herman Trophy is considered the most prestigious award in college soccer and is given to the most outstanding male and female players of the year. 
Cousins enters her last year with the Vols, the Volunteers, as a two-time All-American and back-to-back first-team All-SEC selection for the Volunteers. I could work on American TV. Two, two things. One, you're right, that the abbreviation of Vols is weird because it's like, if you know it's Volunteers, it makes sense. Otherwise, it's like the mole, cousin of Moles. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Two, is it just important to get there first? Is that what we've established? Because the Missouri Athletic Club... I never realized that was what Mac stood for in Mac Herman Trophy. I thought it was like Mac and Cheese. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they get a lifetime supply of Mac and Cheese <laughs> for being the top college player in yeah. the country. <laughs> big, uh, cra- big craft deal. Uh, Todd Brannon scouting Todd Carter-Vickers. Just kidding. We didn't have that problem this time. Cameron <laughs> Carter-Vickers, the 21-year-old American center back on loan at Stoke City from Spurs. Oh, I forgot this had happened. Uh, on a brief one here, prior to the window closing, CCV signed a season-long loan with Stoke City. All right, so we'll find out. Can he do it on a wet, windy night in Stoke? Oh, boy. My guess is yes. Will Hurston is scouting— He seems uniquely suited for that, he yes. He certainly does, right? That's not necessarily a compliment. Passing? Meh. <laughs> Will Hurston— Big-headed clearances? Sure. Is scouting— Kicking it into the wind? Go on. <laughs> Will Hurston is scouting Ryan Sessignon, the 19-year-old English left-sider mm-hmm. for Tottenham. Will says, Sess moved to Tottenham from Fulham for £25 million and Josh Onomar. Will concludes, um, having helped grow Sess from a promising championship left back to a £30 million Premier League striker, I hereby resign my scout. The boy's famous now. Will has decided to spend his time seeking out a promising young Ipswich Town player for this season. Yep. He's resigned. He's had enough. This is bad timing. I want to know how Ryan Sessegnon does at Spurs. I think it's worth noting that I think Will uh, is a Fulham fan and thus maybe does not like other London clubs. Oh, okay. So maybe well, that's where it comes from. If Will is serious, mm-hmm. then Ryan Sessegnon is up for grabs and I think is a really fun player to scout. So I mean, Will seems to be serious. Will I don't e- doubt Will, Daryl. Will, email me, email me if you're serious <laughs> and right. then we'll put Ryan back on the market. We'll see if we can get more than £25 million from him. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's how it works. James Chaka scouting Dwayne Holmes, the 24-year-old American midfielder for Derby County. Dwayne continues to struggle with the quad injury that cut his Gold Cup short and has kept him out of Derby's first two games of the championship season. He was also the target of some racially abusive, uh, abhorrent tweets, says James. Uh, The Nottinghamshire, that is the most made-up English name ever. Nottinghamshire police exactly have arrested the individual and are questioning him. Virginia makes more sense. It does. Uh, On suspicion of racially aggravated harassment. Uh, and Nottingham Forest, who the abuser appears to support, has issued a public condemnation and banned the fan from the stadium. We're with you, Dwayne, says James. All right. So I'm glad the action was taken. Nottinghamshire, Forest, Burgville, <laughs> whatever. Stain, There's no Berg in England. Stain Machelin is mm-hmm. scouting Charlie Masunda Jr., the 22-year-old attacking midfielder, on loan at Vitesse from... Where are they all at loan in Vitesse from? Chelsea! Chelsea Football Club. Stain says... Now they only have 36 players on loan. Oh, Vitesse must be struggling. <laughs> he is alive! Charlie was a 78th-minute substitute in Vitesse's 2-2 draw with Ajax. This brings his total appearances, appearance time for the current season almost on par with last season, which was ruined by a knee injury. He had no discernible highlights as he and his team were mainly defending after they were one man down in the last minute of the game. Woo. No discernible highlights. I mean, but you know, that kind of fits with what Chelsea were doing in their game. Yeah. So it all worked out. He's he getting real right match in. experience. Uh, Jeff and Sam Huffman scouting Mukwele Akele, the 22-year-old American midfielder slash attacker for Villarreal B and the USU 23s. Mukwele played the full 90 and scored in Villarreal B's 2-2 draw with Ibiza. Did I get it right? Ibiza? Yeah, the second one. 
boo boo myself Ibiza in their latest no. preseason friendly uh, this will be a huge season for Mukwele as it appears that he will stay with Villarreal B th- uh, this year at least to start he turns 23 in January though uh, or excuse me he turns 23 in January and though he has moved steadily up the ranks at Villarreal he has not yet had a single appearance with the senior team yeah it feels a bit make or break right it does. 22 I feel like he could be doing like an Emerson Heinemann thing where he ends up Back on loan at MLS. Yes. Something. Yeah. And again, worth remembering with that in mind, Pulisic is 20? Yes. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Matt Kass is scouting Lucas Toussaint. Lucas Toussaint, the 22-year-old French midfielder for Lyon. Good pronunciation. <laughs> this is, um, I think this was sent in real time. Lucas has just scored seconds ago mm-hmm. the third goal for Lyon on league on opening day with a one-footed, low-driven ball from the top of the box. I think all strikes should be one-footed. Mm-hmm. Right? Um Leon will surely bring home the victory. Now 3-0 up over Monaco in the 83rd minute. I went and checked. They lost 4-3. Oh, no. They didn't really. They won 3-0. Good, 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 good. Um, Since we've already decided to go long on this episode, I'm going to make us go even a little bit longer to ask... Uh, listeners, not necessarily Daryl, my French pronunciation is very poor. That has been established. We've established now that like you don't pronounce the consonant at the end, so Toussart becomes Toussart, correct? I think so. Giroud becomes Giroud. Is that the case with first names too? Like, Would he be Luca Toussart or would he be Lucas Toussart? I feel Toussart. like the S wouldn't be very strongly pronounced. Okay. It's These like, are the questions it's I like have. there but swallowed. I don't know the answer. I look forward to somebody who knows things about French. Telling me, and then somebody who doesn't but thinks they do, telling me the opposite. It's, being, it's going to be coming on Twitter. Uh, le- yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Guy Yedweb scouting Serge Gnabry, the 23-year-old wide forward for Bayern Munich in Germany. Uh, Gnabry's solid preseason was briefly derailed by a recurrence of his thigh muscle injury, but thankfully he made it back quick enough to contribute one goal in Bayern Munich's 23-goal demolition Excuse of me? amateur side Rotash Egern. That game should not have been allowed. That should have been cancelled at some point. Mercy rule. What do you get out of 23 goals at that point? Maybe Rotash again just get to play against Bayern so they're happy about it. I'm not uh, sure what yeah. Bayern get out of it. I, yeah, nothing, I'm guessing. Against an amateur team? Harsh. Maybe that was a DFB Pokal. Okay, round. that could yeah. be. Uh, Brian Gardner is scouting Moise Ken, mm-hmm. the 19-year-old Italian forward for Everton yeah. and Italy. Brian says Moise Ken made his debut for Everton, coming on in the 69th minute, nice, for Dominic Calvert-Lewin in Everton's 0-0 draw against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. Moise Ken didn't get too many attacking opportunities as Everton went a man down and had to play more defensive. Do you know what happened? Mm-mm. Morgan Schneiderlin. He got a yellow card early in the game for just like throwing the ball at the floor. And he got a yellow card late in the game for just a slightly late tackle. Ah. So Everton, uh, dead to 10 men. Toffee supporters will get their first home look at Moise Ken next week against Watford. I cannot wait for one of the big four signs to sign him three years from now for £100 million. Pounds. Why? Because that, that mo- that's how it's going to go. <laughs> that's, I, I still can't believe Everton pulled that deal off. I think it's going to be Someone, massively successful for them. I read somewhere that Juve have some sort of buyback clause, but I don't know if that's true or not. I hope it's not. <laughs> that's what I have to say about that. I hope it's not. Uh, William Higgins scouting Brandon Cervania, the 20-year-old midfielder for FC Dallas and the USU 20s. Oh, he's American. Sorry, I should have added he's American. I did that. I did the notes for this and forgot to add that he was I mean, USU 20s. I think that gives it away, hopefully. Yeah. A career night. I retract my apology. (laughs) A career night for Savania, or maybe you're just implying that it could switch. (laughs) A career night, third time, for Savania, who scored his first and second MLS goals. Brandon subbed on in the 75th minute of FC Dallas' home game against red-hot Minnesota United, uh, with a score tied at 3-3. Within 18 minutes, he'd scored two goals and gave FC Dallas the 5-3 win. Both goals came from the right in front of the net. uh, Excuse me, from right in front of the net. Not from the right in front of the net. There we are. The first... uh, the game winner was a good run into the box to finish a layoff from Michael Berrios, and the second was a tap-in from a silky Paxton Pomacol run. You never guess what Paxton Pomacol did in the build-up to that run. Butted someone off the ball. There we go. 
good old Paxton mm-hmm. Pomacard doing doing his stuff. I, I'm going to say I, I was in the locker room after the MLS All-Star game. Paxton Pomacall, when you see, not as an insult, but just how small he is, yeah. all the more impressive how aggressively and readily he bodies people. It's a weird thing, mm-hmm. right, where so many soccer players look small and skinny, yep. and yet you see them play, and they look like... They have the power of ants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. You know does, actually. He's, he's Ant-Man. He's Ant-Man's son, yeah. We have to call him Ant-Man. You beat me to it. <laughs> Robert Newman is scouting Mason Mount. I've heard of him. The 20-year-old English midfielder for Chelsea. We talked about he's him earlier. He's better than Christian Pulisic. Robert says Mason made his full debut for Chelsea in their unfortunate 4-0 loss to Manchester United to start the Premier League season. Despite the end result, Mount played the full 90 in the number 10 position in Lamp- Lampard's 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. Did not look out of place in a match that was closer than the scoreline. His strong performance in preseason appears to have earned him a regular role with Chelsea's first team going forward. That you, feels like a very positive review of Mount's performance. Is there a chance that Robert is a Chelsea fan? It feels that you way. Think so? it? You it think so? feels that way. I think so too. I did. I did see a good joke on Twitter. Someone asked, "What type of player will Mason Mount grow into?" Mm-hmm. And the best answer was Mason Mountain. <laughs> That's good. Uh, <laughs> I had a f- tweet from, or, excuse me, a text from a Spurs supporting friend who noted that Mason Mount is his new uh, porn name. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> You're welcome for that final report of the day. While Daryl holds his head, uh, comes from Brian Hoysa, scouting Sergino Dest, the 18 year old right back for the U.S. and Ajax. Hey. Sergino made his Eredivisie debut over the weekend, subbing in at right back in the 53rd minute of Ajax's 5 0 win over FC Emmon. That feels like we're up 5 0. We're bringing on a right back just to insult you. So at least he played right back. Yeah. You know, he's been playing left back mm-hmm. a lot in preseason. He's kind of out of position. So at least they're like, oh, will he let you play your best position in your Eredivisie debut? Maybe this is just wishful thinking, but that does feel significant. That, like, in a game that they have clearly already wrapped up, to bring on Ma- uh, Mason Mount, no, Sergino Dest. It, it does feel like maybe that is them showing that, yeah, he is going to be kind of a regular con- uh, contributor, especially yep. once the multiple competitions kick off and you've got to kind of rotate some people. Maybe they're testing him here to make sure he can handle it in the long run. Do you know who didn't get to play in this game? Who's that? Edson Alvarez. There we go. The uh, Mexican player hmm. who also signed with Ajax. Interesting. Yeah, yeah and he can play right back and says, you know, Des went in first. Hmm. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying, maybe Alvarez should have signed for Wolves. Smug finish. Smug finish on the TSS show. <laughs> Smug finish. <Yep. laughs> If you have questions for us, please send them to totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Please do. We love answering your questions, U.S. men's national team questions, U.S. women's national team questions. Mm. Premier League questions, I think, is a thing we're going to try and do every Tuesday or so. Um, So send them by Monday. Okay. I like that idea a lot. Uh, May I do a little bit of housekeeping of my own? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say shout-outs but also criticism to uh, John Tolbert for this one (laughs) Um, because our friend John Tolbert, who is in England, I think uh, maybe at time of recording is probably already flying back to the United States. He said, hey, when are you guys going to put out new shows uh, because I want – like something to listen to, to which you responded, have you listened to Soccer 101 yet? And his response was, <laughs> no, I have not downloading now, which is my way of saying, hey, if you haven't downloaded Soccer 101 yet, you listen yeah. right now. Go hit I, subscribe actually, and then listen to it whenever you want to. Let's have a conversation about this. Let's do it. You and I put a lot of work into Soccer 101. I think it's really, really good. Everybody who's listened to it has given us great feedback mm-hmm. in terms of, I didn't think I would yeah. like this and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering why that, because there are some Total Soccer Show listeners, mm-hmm. like say John Tolbert, who, <laughs> I feel bad calling him out mm-hmm. my name because he's a friend. Um, who listen to TSS, like yep. TSS, but for some reason think Soccer 101 is not for them. Maybe it's the title. Maybe they think it's too basic. And I, 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 my, That's one theory. Um, I think I want to get across to people that even though we've titled it Soccer 101, it goes deep into lots of details. We had to do research to find out the stuff that we talked about. We did. Uh, so I think that, that, that's part of it is maybe people think it's concepts that they're already familiar with. Yeah. So they're just going to be hearing it again. Yeah, like you think you know offside, but you don't really know until you listen to that episode. 
Yes. And then surprise, surprise, I'm going to make this a little bit more abstract because I also think that because it's you and me and it's a thing that we have done, we automatically are like, well, everyone will want to follow us to a new show. And I do think about other podcasts that I enjoy when they're like, we're launching a spinoff podcast. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll check that out someday. And then Mm -hmm. it's kind of immediately gone from my mind. Uh, and, And I do think that like that's a thing that happens is there's so many spinoff podcasts and sister podcasts and associated podcasts now that it can be difficult to track. And I would say to that, I would clarify that Soccer 101 is you and me talking about soccer just in a, like an evergreen format. Yeah, like it's, it's not as though, talk, talk show, yeah, right? it's, it's not as though like, hey, go listen to our new podcast, which doesn't feature us and is about something else entirely. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's Darren and Taylor mm-hmm. talking about soccer and it's essentially talk soccer show episodes that just can exist without, um, without a date on it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I would add a final thing. Like I have just returned from vacation, but many other people are, you know, still have vacations to come. We'll be traveling. And uh, like my wife, as an example, is not a huge fan of soccer. She likes soccer. She can get into it. But I think she really enjoyed Soccer 101 because oh, she listened. She did. Thank she, you. Margaret. And she listened to one, I think, to, to do the like, yeah, I listened to one, like the good, the good faith <laughs> spouse gesture. And then ended up listening to most of them, I think, because oh, cool. it was new information that she didn't know or had wanted to ask but didn't quite know how to ask. And so I think if you're on the road, don't just assume that if your significant other isn't big into soccer, like that they'll hate it because I think there's enough interesting stuff in there. At least I hope there is yeah. that it will be captivating even for a person who's soccer curious. It's less about us arguing about how good Marcus Rashford is yeah. and more about bigger concepts. Yes. Yeah. Like will Marcus Rashford be the future of the world? <laughs> There are five episodes about Marcus Rashford. Yeah, in, 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 in retrospect, we should have named too it Rashford one hundred and one. Too many. <laughs> All right, I think on that note we should wrap it up. Probably. All right. So it was, it's a sign that we've gone over an hour and a half <laughs> when we start really getting rambling. But it was good to be back in studio with you. you too, I will be talking to you from Boston at some point, right? Mm-hmm. I'll take my portable microphone. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking all the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen, and we will talk to you again soon. 